Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. This is the program, remember, where we give you the tools, the ideas, the insight to life. So you can finally, you know, do something. There's so many things going on. And uh, in the end, you got to figure out your own life. But uh, we want to provide the tools and hopefully help you find the good in the world. Uh, Good morning to you. Happy birthday to my mom, by the way. Mother's Day. My mom's day. It's it's an interesting thing, isn't it, as we're all aging. I sit there and I think, holy cow, she's getting old, but so am I, and so are my kids, and I'm about to be a grandpa, and so I'm really like my mom, and holy cow, it's happening. Life just keeps on happening, doesn't it? We got a great uh, show today, I think, that's going to, to give us some pretty interesting insight. We're going to be getting into millennials uh, in probably one of the most in-depth studies done on millennials, Dr. Gene Twang will be joining us and giving us some insight about what's really going on. What are these? What are these? You know, twenty to thirty-five-year-olds thinking? You know, I don't know if you know religion. They're 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 a lot less inclined to 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 be religious. They're a lot less inclined to uh, trust doctors, to trust most institutions, government. They're just not buying in. And uh, Dr. Gene Twang, you'll be talking to us about that. Uh, also, in hour number two of the show, we'll be talking with our tech guru, Jay McFarland, in our What the Tech segment. And we're just going to run over a lot of the, the latest uh, tech issues, tech ideas, basically everything from the federal government hack to uh, Apple Watch 2.0, version 2.0 might be coming out. What does that make you think? Ugh. It's interesting. I have a lot of people around me wearing tech, high-tech watches. It's crazy. Kathy Aiken, our, our great news guru, she wears one. She always just shows it, shows it off like she's the queen of the world. <laughs> I don't even know how to, how to use it yet. <laughs> you just always like, leave your hand <laughs> out there. I am not. Yeah, you do. Yours doesn't even have a battery in it, for heaven's sakes. It's not even charged. So it's <laughs> let's, just, a, just a bracelet. Just a bracelet. It's a really pretty bracelet, though. Let's turn it over to Kathy Aiken. and find out what's going on in the headlines. Matt, the suspect in yesterday's massacre at a church in Charleston, South Carolina, has confessed to shooting and killing nine people. 21-year-old Dylan Roof was arrested yesterday in Shelby, North Carolina, nearly 250 miles from the crime scene. The 45 caliber pistol matching the casings found at the church was found in his car. One report had Roof's father giving him the gun for his 21st birthday. However, one of Roof's friends said Dylan used the birthday money to buy the gun himself. Roof is expected to appear in court this afternoon. He was stopped because a citizen alerted law enforcement to a suspicious activity and law enforcement went out and they knew that once they arrived there, that it was the individual that we were looking for. That was Police Chief Greg Mullen. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley said the heart and soul of her state was broken and is calling for the death penalty. Meanwhile, uh, Attorney General Loretta Lynch is opening up a hate crime investigation. In a recent CBS News New York Times poll, 61 percent said race relations in the U.S. were bad. That number is the highest since the Rodney King riots 23 years ago. The two prisoners who escaped from an upstate New York facility have been added to the 15 most wanted list, still 
no confirmed sightings of the two men. The body of a missing two-year-old boy was found yesterday in Oklahoma. The boy had been swept out of his father's arms when the father attempted to cross rising flood water due to this week's tropical storm. One police official said the water reached as high as 15 feet when the child was swept away. Republicans in the House voted in favor of the trade agreement, which gives President Obama fast-track authority to finish negotiations with 11 Pacific Rim nations. The measure would give Obama authority to negotiate global trade deals that Congress can approve or reject but not change. The bill, which many Democrats oppose, now heads to the Senate. And I don't know if you saw this map, but Tiger Woods shot his worst ever round at the U.S. Open yesterday, a 10 over par 80 at Chambers Bay Golf Course in Washington. Woods is 15 shots behind the leaders. And yesterday's round, the third time this year, Woods shot in the What 80s. is his deal? He's going down. He's going downhill. Yeah. He's you know, golfing he like me. <laughs> not really. No, not that <laughs> Not bad. even close. Uh, I think when he cha- changed uh, you know, his, his swing coach, he's had so darn many. It just yeah. has, you know, it's really kind of messed him up a bit. You know, it's always the swinging that'll kill you. It is. You. That'll kill you. Um, There's so many little uh, tiny things you have to do. It drives you crazy. He, you know, isn't it amazing? Because he was, he, was he was the best. Oh. The best. It looked like he was going to absolutely surpass Jack Nicholas yeah. by several. Do you remember? And then that little major scandal thing threw him off. Then his knee, is it? Knee and his back. And his back. Yep, he's had. He's had. You know, you play golf. You know yeah. that swing. If you've got a bad you back, both, that yeah. doesn't work. That right. does not work. Well, so that's yeah, that's it. That's it. That's why my golf game's off. Your back? No, it's not my back. It's my plantar. (laughs) I've had that before. That is super painful. You know, and I just like to point out that a lot of premier athletes have it. They do. So it's an injury that a lot of athletic, strong, vibrant people have. Mm -hmm. Are you putting yourself in that same category? I'm trying to. (laughs) It's not working. It's not working. I'm not buying it. You're not buying it at no, all. Did I'm you not. hear about the lady that, that ended up getting the shooter in the South Carolina thing? Yes. He was running late for work, and apparently he was in front of her, and she recognized the car. No, And she recognized the car, and then she got up and saw. And it's it's amazing. Her story is incredible because she kind of attributes it that God was telling her. Exactly. So look at the ultimate irony of the shooting in church, and then God's driving, getting this woman to go do something she she totally attributes to him. Um, and then, you know what the, the thing is? And then the cops found him. They're like, oh, yeah, this is him. Do you know what it was? Uh, Terry pointed this out. It was his Dorothy Hamill haircut. The wedge. The bob or whatever. He, the, the shooter the has this really funny haircut. I thought when you looked first looked at it, it looked like a wig. Yeah, the I did. First I thought that's got to be a wig. That's yeah. like a Dorothy Hamill mm-hmm. hair bob. A bowl cut. A bowl cut, but you you can't have a distinctive haircut and go commit a crime like that because you're going to get caught in two hours. Exactly. Isn't that just so sad? This it's whole thing the most is just tragic. So tragic. And and then to hear what he's now saying that you know he wanted to start a race war. You know, it just shows you that you know we've got to we've got to start some discussions about race in this country, and we also got to understand that you're not going to legislate against messed up people like that right there's just always going to be these extreme messed up but of all places charleston south carolina they've gone through a lot and um anyway and in it's a tragic church. yeah that and, to and me a church. is and such a historic safest, church right? exactly yeah, right that was that was one of the comments is if you can't be black in a church where on earth can you be black um anyway tragic tragic uh, our prayers again 
going out to the people in Charleston and those families, man, that uh, they they just put out a list of all of the different uh, people that were killed and their background, something like from 26 years old up to 80-something years old. Sad. Uh, we we do have a great show coming up, folks. Uh, we'll be getting into the insights into a recent study, probably the most in-depth study done on millennial generation. So if you have a child from about 20 to 35, you got to stick with us. This. this is a fascinating uh, interview with Dr. Jean Twangy, and she's going to be giving us the insight of what's really going on, what's really happening with these millennials. You know, they were raised by the X-Gens and the baby boomers. We, we told these kids they can do everything. They're amazing. And uh, there's some very, very interesting research that's coming out of that. We'll be talking to her along with our tech guru in the next uh, hour. And then in our third hour, we'll be getting into body language and how that can impact your success at the office. Folks, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, we can't do the show without you. So stick with us. We'll be right back talking millennials right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about the impact of uh, the millennials, the, that that new generation, and and really where it may have come from. I mean, not just the children, obviously, except the attitude, their perspective. Try to understand it a little bit better. You know, when the baby boomers and Gen Xers started having kids, we used to have kind of a different attitude about child raising, constant praising, a lot of heavy influence um, on individuality and freedom of choice. And it may be leading to what our next guest, Dr. Jean Twangy, describes as a generation of tolerant, confident, open-minded, and ambitious children. But also, they possess disengagement, they're a little bit narcissistic, distrustful, and anxious these young adults now have uh, have kind of created this interesting balance. And today, joining me on the phone, Dr. Jean Twangy from uh, Professor of Psychology at San Diego University. She's joining me. Also, she's the author of the book, Generation Me, which outlines how the millennials' attitude towards work and religion and the impact they're having on society. Dr. Jean Twangy, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much. Great having you on the show. I mean, we millennials kind of they they're they're thrown into this category as if they're all this one type of person, but it seems like you you really wanted to go in and do maybe the definitive research on it. You you actually you evaluated 11 million respondents. Is that what you've done? Yeah, so thank goodness I didn't have to hand out all those questionnaires myself. Oh, can you um, imagine? Especially since um this this uh this data goes um you know, back in time, um, back to 1966 when I wasn't um, even around. So I've drawn from these big data sets that are kind of surprisingly underutilized in terms of looking at generational and cultural change. So there's surveys of um, entering college students and high school students, um, eighth graders, 10th graders, um, some other research studies of, of um college students and just as much um, data as I can get my hands on about 
what the baby boomers were like when they were young in the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s, what the Gen Xers were like when they were young in the 80s and 90s, and to compare that to what the millennials are like in the 2000s, 2010s. And it's great to have all that, that data to, to, to draw from. Um, that's where the 11 million comes from is across all of those different surveys that have been done over time. And it's especially great to have that data um, go across time and wow. hold age constant. Because if you do a survey now, you can ask whatever you want, but the problem is you wouldn't be able to tell what was age and what was generation. Sure. You could say, well, maybe millennials are this way or that way because they're young. So we really need that data that goes back in time to, to really answer that question. Because you're able to actually then contrast it to what the baby boomers were actually doing versus what what, what the, um, the, the Gen Xers were doing. Right, versus the millennials. Versus the millennials. So you know, that's the, the, the real power of, of, hmm. uh, of that data that goes across time is being able to say, well, what were boomers like compared to millennials at, at the same age? And, and you kind of describe it as, as millennials in general. They, they tend to be, you call it, I guess, the generation me. They're very tolerant. They're confident. They're open-minded. They're ambitious. But they also are fairly disengaged, narcissistic distrustful and anxious. Teach us. What, what did you learn? What do you mean? And what, what are you seeing? Right. So as you, as you can see, there's a, there's a lot of findings there. So we can uh, kind of lay the foundation and then go through some of those one by one. So the theme that keeps coming up in topic after topic when we look at generational differences is that our culture has become more individualistic. So these are terms that are used in cross-cultural psychology. Say if you're going to compare the culture of the United States to that of Japan, that you'd say that the United States is a more individualistic culture. We place more emphasis on the self and less on social rules than a culture like Japan, which is more rigid in their rules um, and does not place as much focus on the self. Right. It's much more focused on the group and, and the rules. Um, and we can see the same type of shifts. Uh, or the same type of themes across time within one culture. So I've tried to mostly focus on the United States. Other researchers have looked at at cultural change in other cultures as well. And, yeah, the United States is a very individualistic culture, but it has become more so. Hmm. Uh, If you think back to, say, what American culture was like in the 1950s, it's pretty clear to see that that was a much less individualistic time. There, the self was not emphasized as much. Um, social rules were emphasized more. So uh, you know, I've done all these generational studies in the last few years. My co-authors and I have also tried to look at some of these overall cultural shifts, too, using things like uh, the Google Books database. So this is really fun. You can do this yourself. It's freely available online. They call it the Ngram Viewer, so N-G-R-A-M, and you can just look this up on Google, and you can type in any word or any phrase up to five words hmm. and see how its use has changed in, say, American books. Oh, wow. Over whatever time period you like. And yeah. we focus mostly on you know, 1960 to the present and found, for example, I, me, and mine have gone up, we and us have gone down, um, and you, the use of you and yourself has gone up. Hmm. Uh, so the more individualistic pronouns, so you separates the reader from the author, um, 
and um, is kind of bringing the reader into the conversation, making it about them, your best life. Right. And of course, I, me, and mine, you see a big shift or that more individualistic language. And you can see it in more specifically individualistic language too, like words like identity or personalize, um, phrases like you are special, uh, believe in yourself. These were things people rarely were saying huh. in the 50s and or writing in the 50s and 60s. So that kind of captures a lot of the generational differences. So that's why, you know, when you have that emphasized in the culture about your special and believe in yourself and so on, what you'd expect is people to think of themselves more positively, to have higher self-esteem, to think, be more likely to say that they're above average, to have higher, higher expectations for themselves. And that's what we see in terms of the, the generational shifts. And I think that cultural context is really important because it means that none of this is about fault or blaming. So I'm right. so often asked that, oh, you know, why are you blaming the millennials? You know, <laughs> for that? it's not their fault. It's the no. baby boomer parents. Yeah, it's nobody. We need fault. somebody to blame. Cultural change, and yeah. they reflect that change. You're just trying to understand what's really happening exactly. now, right? Right. Understand how the culture's changed, and then through that, try to understand that that, that its effect on young people. Hmm. So individualism has kind of gone up, and so there's no doubt our language also has been changing. And, you know, to to you are special, believe in yourself, a lot more about I and me and mine. Um, what what else? What are some other things you're seeing? Because they, they, they're yeah. also I mean, I guess individualism is an interesting thing because it almost seems like they don't. The millennials may not buy into some of our, you know, collective mores or values because they're maybe more individualistic. They're just more worried about themselves. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's um, you know just themselves um, that it can mean that it can cross over into narcissism. We do see more more narcissism. That tends to be still the, the minority, though. Yeah. Goodness. Um, but it's it is clear that um, these younger generations, you know, particularly millennials or Generation Me, seem to be kind of allergic to joining groups and believing in large institutions and following certain rules. So just one example of that is um, a paper um, that um, my co-authors and I did that came out just a few weeks ago on shifts in religious involvement. Sure. So we looked at that 11 million sample of um, all of those age groups, 8th, 10th, 12th graders, and college students, trying to just comprehensively bring you know, all that data together as much, you know, all the questions that have been asked about their religious beliefs and involvement in, in all four of those surveys. And there's been um, a very significant shift away from religion in, uh, among young people. And what is you know, particularly newsworthy about that is unlike some of these studies, say, from the Pew Center, that are done at one time or over a short period of time. Their most recent study, I think it went back, back to 2007, so it's about seven years. This goes back to 1966. Hmm. You know, we've got a lot of data um, going back a long time. So with that Pew data, seven years or just one year, you can't tell. Maybe, maybe millennials are less religious just because they're young, maybe because they haven't had kids yet, they haven't settled down. Uh, so what you really want is that where you can say, well, are they less religious than boomers were at the same age? Right. And this data shows that the answer is definitely yes. 
Interesting. And by a fairly significant amount, especially if you look at the percentage who say that they, for example, never attend religious services. And that's doubled um, since, the, since the boomers. I mean, and that, the funny thing about that's just basic data. That's just raw data. Make with it whatever you want, but they're, they're, they're less religious attending than the boomers. Yeah, and and Gen Xers. And Gen Xers, yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I guess part of that is just the individualism might lead them to be less inclined to 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 follow a group. Yeah, and we, we think that's a, a pretty plausible explanation. So for one thing, in you know, another analysis that we did, we found that um, among both adolescents and actually adults as well, confidence or trust in large institutions has gone way down. It's at an all-time low. Hmm. And it's not just religious organizations. It's government. Um, it's schools. And here's where I was really surprised. Things like the medical establishment. Oh, interesting. And yeah, they're trusting medicine more made medicine, or less. People are actually less confident in the medical establishment now than they used to be. Yeah. So I think that shows just how systematic that move away from groups is. And I think it, it seems to be particularly pronounced for religion because it's not only a group, but that is an organization that, you know, at its purpose is about the community and about belonging to a group, and it's about following certain rules. Mm. And I think that's why it um, seems to be like oil and water with individualism. Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting – I mean, even just getting into then corporate America and wanting to go work for for corporations – if they have lower trust, if they have a more individual kind of mindset, they're going to want a different maybe type of approach, maybe more of a consulting role or whatever. I mean, it's it's really – it's it's very eye-opening, isn't it? It, it is. And, um, you know, for work, we looked at that too a few years ago and tried to see if there were some systematic generational differences in work attitudes when you took age out of the equation – which was, again, an important step because almost every other study had been done, you know, at one time. You know, well, maybe you know, millennials are more interested in, in uh, leisure time because they're young and not because it's a generational shift. So we right. found it actually is a generational shift that um, Gen Me or the millennials are just much more likely to say they wanted work-life balance, much more likely to say they wanted vacation time. Um, that that they were kind of disassociated from work. They were more likely to say they didn't really want to work hard, that work wasn't going to be a, a, a central part of their life. They were less likely to agree with statements like that, huh. less likely to say they were willing to work overtime. So much more of an emphasis on, I don't even want to belong to a work group either. Yeah. It, I mean, that, that's, I guess, why the, you wrote the book, Generation Me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is. It seems like it's it's this me, 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 but it, but it's kind. Of, it's just a different view of life. They're not necessarily buying yeah. into the same social kind of structures, the medical institutions. It's. I mean, it really is fascinating. But it also seems like it might put it at odds with the rest of the country, which is, I guess, I mean, or the other generations. I mean, I mean, we we might sit there right. and say these kids are so selfish, but really, right. it's just a different generation. It is, and you know, I think it's all. It always. Um, it pays to 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 be you know cautious in drawing those types of conclusions yeah. because and many people for example many people will say to me well haven't people always complained 
about the younger generation. Haven't they always said yeah. that they were lazy and selfish and so on? Well, okay. Well, I don't know if you have any proof that people always said that, but that has actually nothing to do with this type of data That's anyway. Right. That's right. That's right. Here, really, what young people say about themselves. Yeah. And when I first you know, started to hear that, I actually first started to hear that idea of about a work work ethic and the light work life balance from my own students in my classroom, and they they would say when I would ask them to nominate what they thought were the five best things about their generation and the five worst things. Mm-hmm. They often put lazy on the list of the worst things. And at first I was like, okay, guys, don't be down on yourselves. There's no right. data to support that. You know, I haven't found that yet. But then it is actually there. It's a few there. years later, you know, starting the to data comes out. Attitudes. It's there. Yeah. And, but that's not older people complaining. That's not my observations. Yeah. That's not anybody older's observations. That's what young people that's what they're saying. themselves yeah. on surveys say, I don't want to work as hard. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's all a matter of perspective, too, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Managers will tell you that's a terrible thing. Right. But yeah. then a lot of people will say, well, that's, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe we do need to have a little more balance and, right. and, and have some more leisure time and enjoy ourselves more. And, you know, those ideas started, um, you know, with people who are working who had young children who want to spend time with them. And it's interesting that now it's shifted to be high school students who don't have kids and probably won't for a while. We we are talking with Dr. Gene Twangy from the website, genetwangy.com. We'll come right back. We're talking millennials, the Generation Me, and her book called Generation Me after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Jean Twangy from um, San Diego State University. She's a professor of psychology there. If you go to her website, uh, you can get uh, some insight on her book about millennials. The book's called Generation Me, Why Today's Young Americans Are More Confident, Assertive, Entitled, and More Miserable Than Ever Before. Uh, it really is some some interesting insight from a, a strong, strong study where they studied more than 11 million different respondents. And uh, Dr. Jean Twangy, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's such interesting uh, research. By the way, the website is Jean Twangy, T, uh, J-E-A-N-T-W-E-N-G-E.com, JeanTwangy.com. Uh, I I love it, and I I like too how careful you are, um, Doctor Twangy. Not to we don't want to cast aspersions like this is the worst generation. We've had the best generation. Um, this is just a different group of people, and again, raised by baby boomers and Gen Xers, uh, maybe enabled a lot to be really confident and um, uh, you know, learn a lot about themselves and be empowered. And so some of that's coming out in the play here, I'm assuming. Yeah. um, You know, there are definitely some advantages to an individualistic system. Uh, So one thing that happens in an individualistic society that most people think is a good thing is more individual freedom and more equality and more tolerance. So that's Another change that we've seen, um, had a couple papers um, come out on that on uh, on tolerance, and then there's there's uh, 
just uh, as you might guess, certainly in terms of gender equality, uh, in terms of racial equality, there's been um, a lot of progress. And yeah. this generation reflects those attitudes. They're much um, more inclined to treat people as individuals and to think of them as individuals rather than as members of groups. And what you get from that is a lot more tolerance and um, basically taking for granted that we're going to have equality based on group membership. It really, it's such an interesting, it's true. I see it with my kids. Like my mom generationally might have had a lot more prejudice in her life than my grandchildren. And so if they ever heard my mom say something, they'd be like, Grandma, you can't. They're very tolerant and they're very, they're very, um, you know, it seems like kind of open and free. It's mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. Like, like yeah, like quality and freedom and freedom of life matter a lot to them. Is, has, was the gap between boomers and Gen Xers as dramatic as this gap between maybe Gen Xers and millennials? Yeah, it's a good question. It depends on which trait you're looking at and which age group and so on. A lot of these changes are fairly linear, meaning that they just kind of keep changing in the same direction. Yeah. There's others where there's a more dramatic shift. So for um, religion, for example, the it, it's fairly linear, but there's a more dramatic shift between Gen Xers and millennials. Hmm. than there was between you know, boomers and, and Gen Xers. I mean, it's like the religion's a big, it's, it's, it seems like a big barometer for a lot of people because it's, it's kind of so close to home. Yeah. Obviously, it's a very big part of a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's um, you know, both external and, and internal. It's something that helps people appreciate something outside of themselves. It gives a structure to people's lives. It gives them a community. Uh, and it just, it's really integrated with so many aspects of people's lives. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see with this um, with this generation who, you know, most, to be fair, most of them are still religious and religiously affiliated sure. and still involved uh, with religion. That's still the majority, but there's a rapidly growing minority who are completely dissociated from religion. Is it religion they don't like because it's kind of a social structure, it's an institution, versus are they spiritual? It seems like as a group they'd be fairly spiritual people. They'd be very inclined to – I mean tolerance sometimes could be seen as a fairly spiritual uh, open-mindedness. I mean, they're open-minded. Yeah. And you know, some people talk about that, about that that's the possibility that perhaps spirituality is replacing religion. Hmm. But at least um, for in these surveys, that does not appear to be the case. Yeah. So, for example, there's a question for the college students about do you consider yourself above average in spirituality? And the percentage who agree with that has gone down. Oh, interesting. The 90s. So they actually see themselves as less spiritual than Gen Xers did. Um, there's a couple other um, indicators of that as well. Um, Christian Smith, who's a professor of sociology at Notre Dame, wrote a book called Souls in Transition. That was a very in-depth study of um, recent young adults and found that when he asked them about spiritual seeking or spirituality, many of them didn't even understand the question. Hmm. So he, they did not find a lot of spirituality among young adults. Interesting. Isn't this? I mean, what a fascinating study for you because you're really, you're you're st- you're starting to just make sense of something that is going to impact for years, decades. 
right? Generations. And we're just barely yeah, getting I the mean, data. With, that's, that's what's, what's um, you, you know, the, with, with data that goes over time, you can't really be picky because yeah. you have to find the stuff that you can't write your own questions. Right. You can't go the, take the time machine, get in the DeLorean and go, you know, drive back to 1976 and, and say, hey, I, we need to ask these questions. So you're held captive by that. But it, and, and then the same thing with the, the certain populations that they've looked at 12th graders and 8th graders and so on. But the great thing is when you're looking at samples that are that young, it gives you a little bit of view into hmm. what the future is going to look like. You can sort of anticipate what young adults are going to look like in a few years and then what mature adults are going to look like after that. And this, sure, there's going to be shifts in the culture that will continue, but it, it, it does give you a little bit of a, a view of what's going to happen next. And you can see, like they, they obviously apparently like their freedom. They like quality. They like uh, they they don't necessarily trust institutions. So I, I mean, amazingly, or is it part of the issue? Um, technologies morphing jobs, technologies influencing and impacting levels of freedom. Um, it's it's also interesting that this is all paralleling this huge technology movement. It is, and I'm often asked if if that's the cause right if oh it's got to be because of the internet and yeah sure maybe probably playing somewhat of a role but i don't think it's the only thing yeah sure and that's partially because some of these changes have been going on for a while yeah um especially the movement toward the more positive self-views that got going long before oh i remember it (laughs) yeah exactly so selfie has not caused this it's so I think true. This is called, I think this individualism has caused the selfie. It's a, yeah, yeah. There you go. You know, so the, the causation may actually go the other way. For some of the changes that are more prominent recently, such as the shift in religion, um, the internet might be a little bit um, uh, more of a culprit. But still, there's many other social changes. This did get started a while ago, even though it accelerated recently. The internet and technology are clearly not the only cause. Hmm. Well, and it, just the idea that where you would go to get your questions answered about your meaning of life. I mean, my son now can go watch what's going on with the galaxies and how many galaxies there are, and he gets all his questions answered on YouTube. So if I'm not actively there and parenting and being a part of some of these conversations, you could see why religion might not be as of, of interest because he's already getting a lot of questions answered. Yeah, and that that's certainly part of it. Um, and then, it's especially so, it, it, and, it, and it kind of hints at another question we wanted to answer with the religion study, which is: um, Are these young people growing out growing up without religion from the beginning? Mm-hmm. So is it that their parents also are not associating with religion? Yeah, or is it that their their parents are religious and that influence is wearing off over the course of adolescence with YouTube or whatever influences, um, you know, that they're looking to instead. And we found it was some of both. Hmm. So in that college survey, they're asked if um, the religious affiliation of their mothers and fathers. And, for example, the um, percentage of students who say their mother is not affiliated with a religion has quadrupled since uh, the early 1970s. Wow. So that suggests that that's one thing that's playing a role is more of their parents are not religious and thus probably not bringing up their children as religious yeah, either. That's fascinating. However, the other thing that you do see is 
that the eighth graders are reporting a lot more religious involvement than the 12th graders or the college students. Hmm. So that points toward the other thing that's going on, which is that they're dissociating from religion as they move from age 13 to 18. Interesting. There's something about that high school movement. Interesting. Well, I mean, this is this has got to be this is I mean, a it's a great study. And just even as a parent, I can already I now have a million more questions and I guess insights into these children that I'm trying to raise. Do you you, you, hear it? I have I have three kids myself. They're still younger. Yeah. But um, I hope to be able to try to figure out their generation eventually, too. We we have about one minute left. What would you say? What what are some you know, what are what are the main takeaways that we as parents and just just everybody should be thinking about when we think of these the millennials as a group, a generation? What should we be confident of? I think that understanding piece is key to just think about their lives and what they experienced as, as children and adolescents compared to, to, to what you did, and that it was different. So that they're basically from another culture, um, and they're going to have different viewpoints. And you, that doesn't mean you have to like all of their viewpoints, right. but you can understand where they're coming from and why they might have some of these views. And if there are things you just you disagree with, you can tell them, you know, have an honest discussion about why, but just realize that they're going to be coming from a different place. And that's natural. That's, that's the, the cycle of the generations. And then it's not just them, that the whole culture has changed. And they're reflecting that change. That's powerful. Dr. Gene Twangy, again, thank you so much. Everybody, go look at the book. Uh, go look it up. Generation Me, Why Today's Young Americans Are More Confident, Assertive, Entitled, and More Miserable Than Ever Before. Dr. Jean Twangy, go to her website, jeantwangy.com. We'll take a break, come back, do a little uh, Coach's Corner on this topic. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is the Coach's Corner. I'm Dr. Matt. Uh, you know, as we've been talking about millennials, we got to be really careful because any there's just there's no such thing as just you're a millennial. You know, you obviously are selfish and individualistic and anti anti community. Come on, the reality is we um, the research can tell us a lot, but these people are still individuals, right? So. Don't just peg them as a as a group. Let's 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 interact with these people one by one and just see what's going on. Before we had all of this research and before we were releasing studies about everybody constantly, we used to just think people were selfish. We would never say, "Oh, those millennials." But there's some the interesting thing that uh, Dr. Twangy brings up is the language that they tend to use: more eyes and me's and minds. Less we's and us. It's it's that's interesting. That's interesting data. By the way, it's also just a basic interesting point of being somebody that that others want to be with. If you're too I and me, fewer people are going to want to be with you than if you're about we or us. So millennials get to know them. Don't just peg them. Forever there have been generational differences. Forever. 
every generation has questioned the next generation and thought, oh, what's going on with these kids nowadays? But also we might want to look at it and think of it as our, as being parents. We, if, if we have made it in any way, shape, or form, if we as a generation uh, X or uh, if we as the baby boomer generations, if we have influenced our children to be less trusting of the medical world, government, um, religion, those are major institutions, right, that forever in our country, in our society – have been, uh, you know, these major supports that that we wanted to have people trust. Have if we're part of the reason that these millennials aren't trusting those institutions, then quit blaming the millennial for heaven's sakes. If 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 people if millennials don't trust the idea of getting married because they look at their parents like we're a bunch of messed up people, and we haven't necessarily made marriage look very attractive. Because when we look at our parents, they look like they're exhausted and they'd rather be alone on their iPad. Then quit blaming a millennial. It's it's us, okay? There's we are the problem, and uh, we got to remember that if we sat there, if we made um, a human being feel like they can do anything without feeling responsible to have to do anything, then. Whose fault is that? It's all of ours. And it's I don't necessarily see the millennials as a problem. I see them as a major, major opportunity. I also see it as a major shift that might be very healthy. How healthy could it be to have a group of people that aren't buying into the idea that you need a mortgage to somehow be advancing in your life? I mean, the, whoever in, implemented the idea that the mortgage is the key to advancing— if all of a sudden the millennials are happy without a mortgage, wow. Now, I'm sure business world hates it. I'm sure the real estate markets aren't happy. But um, what what about, uh, you know, you as a parent drove your millennial child to think that they just need more vacation? Maybe the fact that you're a workaholic and you're never around and they realize that dad was constantly stressed out. Powerful. So it's just a shift and, you know, it's a swing and it might swing for some really far to maybe too far to one side. But for the rest, it's just going to land somewhere in the middle. But we might want to learn from our millennials as well. We might want to start noticing that, yeah, maybe I ought not just keep fighting the dragon to have more debt. Maybe I ought not just keep working myself to the bone. Maybe I need to kind of just back down and have less, want less, and just find my peace, be more free, have more quality, as Dr. Twangy taught us. By the way, how on earth could you ever bemoan a millennial if they're the, one of the most tolerant generations? Well, but tolerance, sometimes you need to hate people. No, we don't, actually. We don't. We don't. Uh, a la Charleston, South Carolina. Ironically, a millennial. Ironically, not fitting the mold for the other millennials that tend to be more tolerant. So remember, there's a ton of good. And so don't ever just – and if you catch yourself doing it and you catch yourself thinking, oh, these young millennials, back off. Because as a guy that works with them all day, they're pretty flipping amazing. Now they're weird as ever. 
not to be rude as I look at Ben and James, <laughs> but they're they're pretty amazing, and I I'm, I'm excited to think that man, okay, they want more freedom, they want more quality, they want more tolerance, and they also invented the selfie. Isn't that a weird paradox? They they want more freedom, yet they're so completely attached to their devices. Paradoxical. They don't necessarily want as much religion, but they do worship the selfie. <laughs> it's paradoxical. It's no more different than our generation, whatever generation you were raised in. It's just we all have our quirks. Even the healthiest generations have some issues, right? Pretty interesting stuff, folks. Again, uh, we're just a bunch of people on a great big ball of mud flying through space. And yet we all have so much confidence. None of us are actually, actually, you know, flying this big space ball. But we all act as if, yeah, we got it. What's the worst thing that could happen? Maybe what we all need to be is a lot more tolerant, a lot more understanding of each other, of every generation. And I think when we do that, man, it could make a huge, huge difference. Huge difference. So stick with it. Uh, stick with them. Be their guide, right? Be, uh, be there for the millennials and, and, and try to understand what's going on with your millennials in your life, the ones that are in your office, in your family. See what really they're thinking. Make sense? Okay, good. Show done. Matt, over and out. Uh, we're going to take a break, my friends. Hour number one. It's in the can. We'll come back for hour number two. Jay McFarland, our tech guru, will be walking us through all things tech up next on The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We're doing what we can here, folks, to help you see the good in the world. And... It's hard to see the good in the world when you uh, just think about uh, the news coming out of Charleston, South Carolina. Really, uh, what do you do? Okay, don't give up on humanity. Let's not let a 21-year-old confused, messed up boy control the mood, the identity, the, the discussion. They found out that the shooter um, of that tragic shooting in South Carolina, they found out that he was doing it as he as he was basically, uh, you know, copying to the crime. Uh, He was doing it because he wanted to start a race war. Messed up. Now, here's the key. If you want to take a lead, don't take a lead from the criminal Take the lead from the people of South Carolina. They are amazing. And America, we ought to be proud to have just the leaders that we have there, the community leaders, the church leaders from that church. We don't follow the lead of the messed up boy. I'm calling him a boy for a reason. Um, 
but follow the lead instead of the pastor of that church. Follow the lead of um, the, the governor. Follow the lead of the community that's uniting and, and, and still, you know, going to elevate this discussion to more than just hate talk. Honestly, that, even though this is horrible and it's hard and it's difficult, it's, it's telling us who we are. And we aren't, I'm not even going to use his name, we're not that belief system. We're not just a bunch of racists. We are a community of people that are God-fearing, loving, wonderful, decent people. And you can see it in everywhere. As you're looking in South Carolina, you can see it. And the stories are amazing. And just the people walking their religious talk, it's phenomenal. So if we're going to take a lead, let's take a lead from that. And it's about our dialogue. It's how we end up taking this conversation. There's been so many conversations over the last year that I'm not sure we're taking in the right direction. We're just becoming more uh, torn, more enemies. We're becoming more, you know, afraid of each other. Everybody's kind of hunkering down in their own position. And in all honesty, that's creating the race war. What if we could instead, let's not, let's just choose to understand what's going on. Let's choose to elevate the conversation. It really is a tough thing. We got a great, uh, we got a great show for you. One of our goals is to always, you know, help you just learn more. And today we're going to go a little off subject from the tragedy in South Carolina and be talking technology today with our tech guru, Jay McFarland. So many subjects we're going to be going over from a possible Apple Watch 2. Are we kidding? Are we already talking about the two? Have, have we even gotten into the one yet? Uh, we'll be talking about the federal employee hack. Um, Samsung Galaxy phone hack, some problems with Samsung Galaxy. And anyway, touch-sensitive fabric. Can you imagine the day that you just touch on your clothes, your shirt, and it you know answers your phone for you? This is going to get crazy. Uh, but before we do any of that, let's go to Kathy Aiken and find out what's in the headlines. 21-year-old Dylan Roof is scheduled to appear in court today following Wednesday's mass shooting at a South Carolina church. Roof confessed to opening fire on the congregation after mingling with them for nearly an hour, killing nine people. Roof was arrested 250 miles away from the crime scene in Shelby, North Carolina. Debbie Deals was on her way to work when she spotted Roof in his car and called police. I was able to see him. I was able to get behind him. I was able to get his tag number. I was directly behind him at a stoplight. And everything going through my mind was like, what what ifs, what ifs. But the only thing I could still see was those people in Charleston in those prayer circles sitting around praying that that prayer would be answered. Dills said this whole thing with her was divine intervention. Roof apparently told a friend he bought a 45 caliber pistol with birthday money. Meanwhile, Attorney General Loretta Lynch is looking into charges of a federal hate crime, while South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley is calling for Roof to get the death penalty. Speaking about the tragedy yesterday, President Obama linked gun control to the church shooting and said the nation needs to, quote, come to grips with the issue. The two men who escaped from a New York prison are now on the 15 most wanted list. Officials still have no confirmed sightings of the two who escaped on June 6th. According to the Associated Press, there are at least 134 escaped prisoners around the country who remain at large. Many of the inmates have been missing for decades. Most prisoners who escape, they say, are recovered in only a few hours or days. 
A Detroit woman said she'll plead guilty to killing her two children and storing the bodies in a freezer. 36-year-old Mitchell Blair is charged with murder, torture, and child abuse. Blair was found competent to stand trial and said she would accept the death penalty, but Michigan doesn't allow it. The bodies of her 13-year-old daughter and 9-year-old son were found when Blair was evicted from her home. Republicans in the House voted in favor of the Trade Promotion Authority. The measure would give President Obama fast-track authority to negotiate global trade deals with 11 Pacific Rim nations. If it passes, Congress can approve or reject the deals, but they can't change them. Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton said if she were still in the Senate, she would probably not have voted for it. The bill, which many Democrats oppose, now heads to the Senate. Tiger Woods had another bad round of golf yesterday, shooting an opening round 80 at the U.S. Open, his worst round at that tournament. Dustin Johnson and Henrik Stenson lead the field both at five under par. And Matt, how long would you like to live? What's the optimum age? Uh, with plantar or without? <laughs> Preferably without. <laughs> uh, I'd like to live. I want to live long enough that <laughs> that I can torture my children. So um, 88 88, that's good. That's a, nice a good long life. Yeah. Well, the woman considered to be the oldest person in the world mm-hmm. has died. Oh, no. Geraldine Talley died Wednesday night at her home in Detroit, 116 what? years old. She Holy was born cow. in 1899. Oh, my <laughs> Sound incredible. She loved to fish and went bowling until she was 104. Oh, wow. Yeah. 116? You know, do you think you get to that age and wonder if someone in heaven has forgotten all about yeah, you? Like, that is so long. <laughs> you know that like, feeling hello? when, yeah, you're the last one called at the doctor's <laughs> office. You're like, did they, did they forget they me? They're I'm turning here? off the lights. The janitor's yeah. waxing the floor. Yeah. Um, well, how long would you long? How late? How long I do you am, want to live? I'm thinking 82. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, I'm looking at, I had a uh, one grandma live to 82 and my other one was 92, I believe. Yeah. You know, I think if you're in good health, that would be great. But uh, yeah, 82 is good. I, as long as I have a brain and can talk. And you're not eating your trans fats and forgetting <laughs> words. Exactly. <laughs> but I think the only thing that's going to help me live to 88 are my trans fats. You think? Yeah, because aren't they, don't they help, um, don't they help food last longer? Forever. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So if yeah. a Twinkie can last they for inflame years. inflame your body and I'm sure probably inflame your plantar fascia. So mm, sure. But I'll be the guy in the wheelchair uh, dra- with one leg that works going in circles around the rest home. That's my goal. You know, <laughs> I have crack to tell you jokes. this story about a rest home. It's, really, it's not funny, but kind of funny. Yeah. 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 So I was with my cousin. We were going to see her grandparents in the rest home and we were about 12 and there was these, these two women walking, and, and the, they were both calling for Lily. They were saying, Lily, Lily, you know, they're going around. And all of a sudden, literally, so we started helping them find Lily. And after about 10 minutes, they stopped, and the one woman said, I'm Lily. And so my kids and I look at each other. I was like, please, don't let me get old. Don't put me in the restaurant. Oh, my home. It was sad. You were looking for Lily, we and Lily, Lily, and Lily was, was one was of right there. Yeah. She, she remembered that she was Lily, and it oh. was very sad. Yeah, you don't. But see, in a weird way... I think that's so important for the people, to, for the kids to learn. The grand, I mean, right. so there's something generational about you having to grow old, which is hard mm-hmm. on you. Yes. But I think it cha- it makes you wise. You're gonna, it's gonna strengthen it, your spirit. You know, and it really gives you. Oh, I don't know. I just feel. I feel so. My mom's been in a care center recently, and to see these people in there, and so many of them look lonely and sad, yeah. and it just breaks your heart. Oh, totally. Oh, no, just totally. Think, oh, I hope I never get to this point. Isn't you know, it, it really the is. Circle, it really is the circle the of life. The circle of life. Oh, uh, it really is. 
Well, man, what are you going to do? That's crazy. Well done. Kathy Aiken. She did it again. Uh, here's the deal. You, you got any questions for tech? Because we got our tech guru coming. Jay McFarland uh, is the man, the myth, the legend when it comes to technology. He's a great friend of the show, uh, an app developer, a talk show host for a, a talk show called Browsers, which is basically all tech. And he's just he's just good at it. So we like to bring him on the show, pick his brain. When we come back from this break, we'll be talking with Jay McFarland from jmcfarland.com. All things tech up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, on the line with us is our great friend Jay McFarland, who is the author of two books, Freedom Ain't Free and Joyful Union, and is also uh, a, a host, a co-host of the Browsers radio program for KSL News Radio, which is a large Intermountain uh, radio show. You can pretty much hear it in about 10 states. Uh, also, Jay is a tech guru, for heaven's sakes. He is a, uh, an app developer, 100-plus apps. If you go to his website, jmcfarland.com, you can uh, get all things Jay. Jay, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, how you doing? Good morning. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. It's Friday. What could be better? I know. What could be better? Hey, I spent yeah. some time with your co-host uh, yesterday, Amy. On, uh, on Studio 5. Studio five. She yeah. she nailed it. She was doing great. She was hosting the show, and um, we had a great talk. She, oh, yeah. I'm sure all about me, right? <laughs> all about you. I got so much more dirt on you now, Jay. Yeah. Holy cow. Hey, we got so much to talk about. Uh, now, here, I don't remember if you remember the last time we talked. I was upset because Apple did a pre-launch, a, a pre-talk, a possibility of the Apple Watch. Then the actual watch is going to be made announcement. Then the announcement that it, the date it will eventually be launched. And about a year and a half, two years later, we got an Apple Watch. And, yes. and now it sounds like there's still rumors of an app. Now we're rumoring Apple Watch 2? Yes. What? Yes. Well, it's funny because I received an email this morning saying, hey – Today's the day you can finally get an Apple Watch at the Apple Store. Oh, my word. <laughs> so it's taken that long for people to be able to walk into a store, grab look one. at one, yeah. and purchase one. And we've been joking on our show that by the time that happens, they'll be rolling out the next Apple oh, Watch. There we go. you know there's going to yeah. be a new one every year, just like the iPhone. Exactly. And you bought one, right? I did. You like it? Uh, it's interesting. I do like it. Yes. Uh, it's Pure convenience. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you when you look at your watch to see your text messages and see your appointments or who's emailing you, uh, it's pure convenience because you don't have to take your phone out of your pocket. But I find that equally as frustrating. Yeah. Be- because, for example, I get a text message and I want to respond to it. I have three options. <laughs> I I can hit reply. And there's a little microphone button, and I can speak to it, and it will convert that into text. Okay. That's that's nice. That's unless cool. Unless I'm around other people. Yeah, unless you I don't want to look do weird. Yeah. Right. So the other option are these predefined responses like, okay, thank you. Yeah. I'm uh, walking the dog. Talk. Can't talk now. Yeah, right. So that's the second option. And then there's the third option, and that is take your phone out of your pocket <laughs> and reply to the text. 
Yeah. And so I got this watch so I don't have to take my phone right. out of my pocket. Redundant. And guess what I'm having to do every time? Interesting. See? Take my phone out of my pocket. Ignorance is better. <laughs> Not knowing that you got a text because you didn't feel it vibrating in your pocket. Exactly. Is better. Yeah. So, but okay. you know, it's it's nice convenience. The, uh, the fitness features on there are fantastic. Um, what they're saying now about the next Apple Watch, two, two important things. Uh, one is uh, they're talking about a camera on the watch that allows you to FaceTime with oh, people just using the watch. That's cool. Well, what's cool about that is wasn't that the Jetsons? Or, yeah, that know, totally I was. Mean, uh-huh. We've been waiting for that tech for decades. Now you can do and it while I, you're driving, too. That'll yeah. be fantastic. Yeah, and I will tell you the other thing nice about the Apple Watch is you can use speakerphone on it, and sometimes I've done that when I'm out and about. Mm-hmm. And that's a nice little feature, too. If you were then doing video chatting on your on your uh, watch, yeah. I think your wrists would get tired. Your arm would get tired pretty quick. <laughs> You're going to need an Apple arm support yeah. that you can just stick under your arm to keep your yeah, hand my, up. My left arm is going to be much stronger than my, <laughs> my right arm. Maybe that's a good thing. That's not know. a bad thing. So, so that's crazy. The, yeah, the other thing they're saying about the new one is uh, much many more standalone features. The, the biggest problem with the Apple Watch right now is it is really just a second smaller screen for your iPhone. Most of the apps that are running on the watch are really being processed and running on your phone. Hmm. And it's just another screen and display for your phone. Yeah. And what that does is it slows things down. Because, oh. you know, it's got a it's got Yeah, it's a got a process. And the other thing it does is it makes you – so you pretty much have to have that phone with you all the time. And that's a problem. If you want to go out for a run and not take your phone, it'd be nice to play music off your watch. Yeah. See your GPS. And and run some of those things and not have to have your phone on you. But you still so can't do that. You can't you can't hear your uh, your music off of you your can, wrist. You can you know you can upload. I think it's up to a gig okay. of music onto your watch. Uh, it burns your battery pretty quickly. That's true. Uh, but most of the functionality is still coming for your phone. So they're saying hmm. for this sec for Apple Watch Two, get ready for it. Yeah, uh, that you will have. Uh, much more standalone functionality on on the Apple Watch. That's cool. And that's got to be what, like six months away. Well, you know, well, before, before they announce it officially. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And then and a in- year and a half before they deliver it. But I'll, the good news, I'll be selling mine. So if you want, one, I will a deep discount. Uh, let's have let's just Apple do that Watch. deal right now. <laughs> I'll take that deal right now. All right, fantastic. That, that's, plus, I just think no matter what, I just think you look smarter and richer than everyone else when you wear one. Well, I, I was in, in Walmart last night, and the guy working the little, uh, you know, giving out the free samples. was like, is that an Apple Watch? <laughs> yes, it is. And then you started asking me all kinds of questions. I, you know, he didn't ask, aren't you on that radio show? He didn't care about that. They didn't care about any of that. No. It's just no, about, it's always about, about the watch. watch. Hey, yeah. w- what's, uh, Let's go to Galaxy, Samsung. They're, uh, they got a little problem going on there. Hackers. Well, I, yeah, I don't know if this is – this is one of those situations where somebody has found a vulnerability. It's not a situation where somebody's taking advantage of that vulnerability. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that needs to be made clear. And you, you have, you have uh, white hat hackers who are always trying to look for vulnerabilities and solve them. And a lot of times they're – 
they'll call up Samsung or they'll call up somebody else who they found a problem and they may not get the response they want. So they'll tell the world about it. Yeah. And then they get the response that they want. This is a problem with the Swift keyboard that yeah. comes only on Samsung devices. So not to be confused with the Swift keyboard app that you would download from an app store, either for Android or for Apple. This is the one that comes pre-installed on Samsung devices. So that's that needs to be made clear. Okay. And bas- basically what it does is these apps are always asking, hey, do you have an update? They're going on the server and they're contacting uh, Samsung and they're saying, hey, do you have an update for me? And Samsung will say, yes, we have one, download it, or no, we don't. And the problem is if you're on an unsecured Wi-Fi network, somebody can get in the middle of that request. It's called a man-in-the-middle attack. They can get in the middle of that, intercept it, act like they are Samsung sending an update, and that update would be put on your phone and allows them to control many of the features of your phone, like access your camera to see what you're doing, uh, those types of things. So that's the warning. Samsung says they're all over it. They're going to fix it. Uh, but again, I don't know of any reports where that vulnerability has been taken advantage of. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, somebody, maybe a competitor, found it and has sent out a press release on it. Yeah, exactly. Now, speaking of hacks, uh, the federal government seems to be struggling where with their own employee hack problem. Oh, my, Matt. This is... This is the biggest, most ridiculous problem that you could you could ever imagine. This is the Office of Personnel Management. Mm. OPM. And, yes. And the reason it's a big deal is because people are thinking, oh, I, I'm not a federal employee. I'm not grouped in. And that may not be the case. And the other reason it's a big deal is because uh, OPM was warned about this for years and failed to update their systems, Ugh. even though they were given the money. It's something to the tune of $200 billion to update these systems. And we're finding out that the, the, the systems that they use to hold these records, and we're talking about for 4 million federal employees, birth dates, social security numbers, all of their contact information, the information of their children and those birthdays. I mean, just everything you would need to steal somebody's identity were stored on computers that are so old, they can't even be encrypted. They're still running MS-DOS and systems older than that. (laughs) And they've, they've been warned by the inspector general for at least three years saying, you need to update your systems. And if you don't, we would just prefer you turn these computers off. They're that yeah, it's vulnerable. The, oh my heavens! And and yet two hundred billion dollars has gone somewhere else. I guess, or <laughs> didn't get spent because at, at these hearings that have been going on on Capitol Hill, they're basically saying uh, this. The CEO is basically saying uh, we we didn't really feel like this is necessary. What's the big deal? It's like they're not even concerned about. Oh it. my heavens! And yeah, and then they found that they accessed a secondary area in these records, and this is where everybody out there who's not a federal employee needs to be concerned. They found that there's this 127-page document that somebody has to fill out if they want any type of security clearance. So if they're applying for the FBI, if they're applying for certain areas in the military, oh boy. anywhere where there's a security clearance, this is 127 pages of somebody's life, where they've worked, medical conditions, uh, 
convictions. Oh. And in those documents, they have to provide information for contacts. Who, who are the people that live on all sides of you? Who are your neighbors? Who are your friends? Who are your family members? All of that information was stolen from those 127-page documents as well. So if you ever were put down as a reference or a neighbor, your information, for security, your information has been on there as well. Now, that may not include Social Security numbers, but, but your information is on there as well. Yeah, That is scary. You bet. But then the other thing that I have to tell you about is how the uh, OPM is handling this with their employees is absolutely it shows how completely inept and ignorant they are they don't get about it about the world we live in they absolutely don't get it but see you I know mean, it's scary uh, stuff. you know what we got it let's take a break but jay when we come back i want to talk did you did you read that study about how americans are pretty much resigned to the fact that they have no privacy anymore Yes. So I, I want to yes. I want to talk about that because I wonder if this is just an extension. Now the government's resigned to the fact that eh, yeah. whatever. Sure. Well, yeah. So what I want to do when yeah. we come back, I want to tell you how they responded to this, and then we can get into okay. Yeah, let's do that. About. We'll come back. We're talking okay. the federal employee hack problem that uh, doesn't seem to be a big problem, at least to the government, and uh, we'll be also talking about how Americans are. You resigned to just thinking you don't have privacy? You know, the telemarketers, they can do whatever they want with your information. Crazy, crazy stuff, folks. We'll come right back with our tech guru, Jay McFarland from jmcfarland.com, right after this break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, on the line with us is our tech guru, Jay McFarland from jmcfarland.com, and he's helping us right now sort through the federal hack, uh, the federal government's hack um, with the Office of Personal Management. Jay, welcome back, my friend. Thank you, sir. So uh, update us then. So what happened? What's the federal government doing and saying now about this whole hack? Well, first of all, they've committed – this is one of their big commitments mm-hmm. – to let every federal employee know by today if they are part of this hack. So that's the first thing. You so if you get a call today, for, then you – yeah, that's that's nice yeah. of them. That's good to know. Now, it will, pr- it will probably come in the form of an email, and that's part of the problem. <laughs> and I'll tell you why in a minute. First, what they're offering is 18 months of free credit monitoring service. Hmm. And a million-dollar identity theft insurance policy that I believe lasts for the same amount of time. And you get that whether or not you sign up for it. So if you decide, I'm not going to contact them, I don't think it's worth my time, and your identity gets stolen, you can still sign up for huh. it, and you'll get that Well, policy. yeah, why would so, you – Why the federal government already messed your name up. Why would you – now call them and give them more information to put in yeah. the database. Well, and that that is interesting that you say that because that plays into the problem. On our on our radio show, we talk about how to keep yourself secure, how to keep from getting malware on your computer, how to not fall for phishing scams where you get an email that looks official from your credit card company or your bank or your employer, and it says, "Hey, we noticed uh, somebody's trying to hack your account." 
click on this link and confirm your information. People click on it. It looks like it's their bank. It's not. Oh. They enter in their username and password or their personal information, and then the bad guy has it. Yeah. So we consistently tell people never, ever click on links direct through your email. Don't do it. If you think that your bank is asking for information, close the email, go on to your bank's website and process it that way. Or pick up the phone and call your bank's website. So this is That's great advice. That, yeah. Yeah, and and it's it's advice that the federal government has given their employees through security training. So how do you think the federal government responded to this problem? They sent out an email <laughs> with a link in it yep. saying click on this link for your free credit monitoring. And over half of the federal employees who received it said, we think that's a phishing scam. We're not going to do it. <laughs> Be- because they, yeah. it's, they were trained uh, not to click on email sure. with links. And the federal government said, let's send everybody an email with a link in it. And so Isn't that all it? these employees who need help, guess what they're not getting is the help because they think it's a phishing scam. This is how inept they are at this process, and it's scary. The one thing I would tell you, because people ask me all the time, if I think I'm mixed up in this, what do I do? You need to call the credit bureaus, all three of them right now, and put a fraud alert on your account. And (sighs) what that will do is it will make it so anybody who applies for credit uh, over the next, I think it's six months, the credit bureau will have to contact you directly before that credit is issued. And I would do that today, right now, if you're a federal employee. And by the way, or a formal federal employee going back 30 years. Oh, my or heavens. If you, yeah, that's what we're talking about. This you is need crazy. You to protect yourself and not wait for the government to do it. Government says they're now going to send out an email where there's not a direct link. There's a high, there's uh, just a website, and you copy and paste the link in. And honestly... <laughs> That doesn't help the situation at all. I mean, they, th- this explains it, doesn't it? So half of the yeah. people are copying, are just going right to the link anyway, even though that's against the policy of the government, yes. which shows us how this whole thing happened. 50% exactly. of the government workers aren't cutting it. They're not remembering yeah, the policies. They're not thinking. They're just doing it. And the others are saying, uh, you trained us better. Yeah, hello. And this is crazy that you're doing this. Unbelievable. Talk about that study, because that study's a big deal. Uh, There's a study that came out about the fact that people are now kind of just resigned to giving up their privacy. They're just just okay letting it all out there now. Well, this, and when we talk about privacy, you know, we're not talking about like a social security number or something like that. We're talking about our daily habits, what we, you know... Typically, we want to. We would want to be to ourselves. We don't want somebody to be able to go in a database and say, "Oh, this is everywhere Matt shops." Yeah, and this is everywhere he goes every day. You would want some privacy, but this survey reveals that we are all resigned to the fact that we don't have that privacy because we all know everything we use, every device we use, everywhere we go, is tracking us. So we've given in that our privacy is going to be taken from us. But but with with one uh, request as we give in, we want some type of benefit from it, and mm. then we're okay. So basically they're saying 
I'll let you have my information because I think it's going to be taken anyway. But can I get a really good discount at the grocery store? <laughs> so we'll sell it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 But, we, we've given up any any intent or desire or belief that we can protect it. So now we flipped over to the other side and said, hey, let's get some benefit from our loss of privacy. Now, it's interesting because we'll, that's that's kind of more with the marketers, right? That's more with the companies yeah. that are trying to sell us. Yet with the federal government, we're all like so worried about what they're going to know. And right. yet with our marketing people, we're like, yeah, okay, if you'll give me a deal. Like, so maybe yeah, if we could get a tax exactly. break. All I want is a discount. If we could get a tax break, then we wouldn't need, then we wouldn't worry about the NSA spying on us. Yeah, and I think we all see this. I mean, the other day I was looking for uh, an accessory for my truck online. So I Googled it, and I looked at a couple of websites. Since then, that was probably about six weeks ago, every single banner ad mm-hmm. that I see while I'm surfing the Internet every everywhere is for that exact truck <laughs> accessory. Everywhere. I've seen ads for it. Everywhere accessory anymore. You know, is, I see it everywhere. Isn't that it? Yeah, because you know, I used to think, "Wow, um, everybody's advertising this one thing I was looking for." <laughs> it is the strangest thing. <laughs> then all of a sudden, you realize you've been, you've got some cookie on board, and you're yes. you're being worked. It's yes, so right. funny. They're, they're they're pumping you everywhere you go. It's like that movie Minority Report, where everywhere you went, they scanned your eyeballs. They knew instantly who you were, and they knew instantly what your purchase history oh, was. That's a and scary day. And they would make day. offers to you based upon your purchase history. That exact thing is happening online everywhere we go. <laughs> and and there's these algorithms out there that people have put together that have said, without ever knowing your name, that this metadata, as it's called, from phones and from websites, can paint a pretty clear picture about your age, how many kids you have, where you live, what your income is. And that is the same metadata, by the way, that the federal government has been trying to collect and has been the subject of these most recent changes when it comes to yeah. government spying on on American citizens. <sighs> so you can – when you think, oh, well, they don't have my name, so it's okay – uh, they can learn just about anything they want to just by looking at your, at what you do on your phone and what you do on your computer. Oh, so we're okay with it. Yeah, we're no, whatever, okay whatever. I'm gonna get a good discount. But I want a coupon. You, know yeah. you better give me right. a coupon. <laughs> it's so scary, Jay. We it's are scary and sad. It, well, yeah. it is, and it's, and I think someone, so many of us are just so ill informed that we don't know. We don't know yeah. how much they know. We don't know how yeah, much they're I mean, pushing and, 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 you know, turning us where they want us. No, you just wanted to have a phone yeah. that you can carry around with you. Or you just wanted to go online and look for something. And you don't realize with every every click you're giving out, you know, information about who you are. Oh, brother. Well, Jay, you're yeah, the best. Yeah, no, we know yeah. we can trust you. You'll never take uh, – when we go to your website, jmcfarland.com, we know you're not going to ever take our information and sell it. Oh, I don't. I don't know. You're just going to design an app around us, that. <laughs> which I know you do. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. I won't steal your information as long as you buy one of my apps. If you don't buy an app, then, I take all your data. <laughs> yeah, then all bets are off. <laughs> oh wow, that's that's pretty smart though, Jay. Really smart. Hey, we appreciate yeah. you, my friend. You're great. Keep up the good work. Hey. Hey, love it. Thank you so much. Take care. Everybody, go check out the website, jmcfarland.com. 
really 100 apps that are on there that he's developed, just great educational apps for your kids. Plus, you know, the brow, you got to go you got to go listen to his radio show. You can get a link to it there as well. Um, every day, tons of information about tech with uh, he and Amy Iverson working together on the browsers. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com is going to be joining us. We'll be talking about some of the newest movies that were released, getting a, a nice uh, parental overview for what movies might be better for your kids from a parent's perspective. This is the Matt Townsend Show back after the break. To the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to turn now to Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic that specializes in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. Uh, this uh, week we're going to be talking about the new release Inside Out. Rod, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. How, How are, are you? you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm doing fine, too. The clouds are gone. It's sunny out. Is it, is it nice Much up there? What's, what's your temperature yeah. today up in Canada? Oh, our temperature, we are going for a high today of about 78 degrees. And you're in Calgary, uh, right? Yeah, a lovely day, yes. Beautiful, 78 so degrees. We would, yeah, we would say 23 or 24 in our language, but yeah, it's yeah. about 78 in yours. Yeah, I was, you, had to, you, had to, uh, you had to convert it. Um, down, yeah. here in, down here in Utah, we're going to be in a balmy 97, roasting in yeah. the desert. I don't know yeah, what that is. I in, know, I love that. 30, That's, 32. Yeah, that, that's getting up there. Oh, no, that's getting up into about 35, 36. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 37 degrees. This is how I remember it. 98.6 normal body temperature, and that's 37 degrees. There you go. So, so yeah, yeah. Puts it, puts it See? right about there. You yeah. guys. You and guys. You know what, Matt? I hate, I hate to admit this. I'm old enough to remember. We switched over to Fahrenheit, or to Celsius and the metric system back when I was in my senior year of high school. Huh. And uh, yeah, was yeah. that hard so for you? I still Be- remember that because that well, there's talks know, that we should do that here in the United States, but th- yeah, that, that yeah. seems that's, hard. That's why we did it, Matt. No hard feelings, but they all told us, "Well, the Americans are going to do it, so we better do it." <laughs> yeah, don't that's trust that. <laughs> but the best, the best part of the whole experience, me and my buddies, my buddies and I, sorry, when yeah. we were in high school. We, the first thing we did, we went out on the highway and we saw the speed limit sign that said 100. And we thought, wow, do you think the police would believe us if we told them we were confused? <laughs> <laughs> what? We didn't know. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Those we, were the days, huh? Memo. Hey, yeah. I hear there's a, this new movie that's just taken over. Inside Out seems to be killing it. Yeah, Inside Out. I think this is going to be a big one. You know, it's been a while since we've had a... Uh, a real Pixar movie, and I put that in quotes because we had Planes, Fire, and Rescue last year. Yeah, but Planes, Fire, and Rescue was really a, it was really targeting the younger audience. And and what so many adults enjoy about Pixar is you've got that two layers of humor going on. You've got the the kid layer where the kids are laughing, but you've also got the adult layer. And when I say adult. It's appropriate adult humor. Hmm. We don't often get too much edginess from Pixar, but it's still it's humor that adults will understand that will fly over the top of kids' heads. And I think that's what so many people love about Pixar movies. So finally, Inside Out has come along. And yes, it has, it has that two layers, but 
perhaps what may cause this movie a little bit of trouble, although I think people will go see it anyhow, is it probably has a little bit more of a message for adults than it does for children. And it's an interesting, this is one of those movies, Matt, it's a little bit, do you remember Wally that came out a uh-huh. few years yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah. So it's a little like Wally. It's a little more, well, in fact, it's probably even more abstract than even Wally is because this film is about, it's about a little girl who lives in Minnesota and her parents moved to San Francisco and she is really sad about having to move. She loves hockey and <laughs> all of those types of Minnesota things. And guess what? San Francisco isn't the hockey yeah, capital. They're not as big into hockey. Yeah, that's right. But what the story really is about, the characters that we really get to learn the most about, are the five little emotions that are inside this girl's mind. And her name is Riley. And we go inside of her mind and we meet these five emotions. And there's sadness and joy and there's, there's fear and anger and uh, I'm trying to remember oh, the last one, the green one, who doesn't like broccoli. Discuss. <laughs> and, uh, and so all of these five emotions all play inside of her mind and literally push her buttons because they, they stand in front of a big control panel and they can push buttons that will change <laughs> how Riley will react to different situations. And it really is interesting. This movie will be showing up in Psychology 2 yeah. in one class with one who fell on home video. Because it is a very, like, I've been thinking about it ever since I've seen it, about, you know, how we react to different things and how these different emotions um, it, uh, interact with one another. So very intriguing in that regard. So, so is it... Because for an adult, this all that would make sense, but they're also still talking on a level for the children that the kids are getting it. They are, they are. I mean, it's not like they're using you know huge words that you're only going to find in a, in a university textbook. But this film is a lot about well, the, the other involvements that's in, in this movie are Riley's parents and how they are reacting to Riley reaching the age of 12 years old where she's starting to exert a little bit of independence and and she's wanting to do things on her own on her own now and she's kind of giving up some of those childhood some of those childhood things like there's there's one aspect in Riley's mind there are these different centers that these emotional that these little emotional characters go to one of the places is Goofy Island I think it's called and it's just the goofy things <laughs> that kids do well Riley is starting to disconnect from Goofy Island. And her parents are, are having a difficult time, you know, making that adjustment and that type of thing. So a lot of this film as well is seen from the perspective of parents and watching our children grow up. So, you know, I'm concerned in the middle of the film, they actually go on a road trip. These, these emotional characters go on a road trip through Riley's subconscious. And it is during that section, I think, if I was eight years old, I would be bored. Yeah. You know, I think I'd be snoozing. But I noticed, though, that the kids in my audience, the, the opening act and the closing act, they were very much engaged. The middle act seemed to engage the parents more. Hmm. So I think there's still something for everybody in this movie. But this is definitely, Matt, one of those films that parents go see this with your children i would recommend eight and over ten and over would be the ideal ages for this this is a great no that's great movie for after the movie this is my weekend then and then and then yeah start having some discussions uh about it and then i guess too you could also bring it up in time every time you see one of these five emotions appear 
in your kids. Yes, yeah, exactly. And you know, and I think by personifying the emotion, it actually gives children and even adults a, a, a better. I don't know, I guess a better appreciation for when we are reacting to something where we're thinking, okay, you know, is this my anger emotion? Do I need to, you know, push him aside right now? Or is he acting appropriately? Because one of the things I do appreciate about this movie is it does, it does also have the message that all of our emotions are valid. It's just how we deal with them that is the important important part of it so so yeah even though you know it's written you know so that uh, an eight-year-old could understand most of it it's deep stuff when that's you really great. start thinking about the integration and how they put it, how they put it all together i know that's what i love about pixar one of the few studios well really probably the only studio that can give us a pg rated animation <laughs> that it goes this deep into things and uh and has cool. this much meat even for adults that's great. No, so, and, and you gave it a B, what rating? B plus. B plus rating. B plus on this. That's yeah, great. really, in our traditional content areas, uh, there's really no profanity. There's a little bit of name calling in one scene. And uh, we have a, a little bit of, a, of an allusion to a teen romance or to an adolescent romance. So really, there's no profanity or sexual content, no drug and alcohol use. The, the biggest issue in this film for younger children is the characters are in peril sometimes and there are a couple of scenes that could be scary especially as they're moving through Riley's subconscious and and also I guess the children who maybe have just moved recently or they're and are adjusting to a new school and going through the things that Riley's going through some of that may be emotionally uh too too engaging for them but at the same time as I say parents this is a great opportunity to to be able to talk to your children about their emotions it's cool stuff I mean it's it kind of reminds me of Frozen a little bit where there was this subtle underlying message that in the psychology world was a great tool for a lot of people. Yeah. And this yeah. seems to kind of follow the same path. Yes, yes. And and this one probably I think even even more so that that, that line of psychological analysis yeah. whatever you want to call it it's even more evident and i you know i should mention it is funny there are many funny scenes in this film this is i don't <laughs> want to make this sound like this really is a textbook yeah experience no because yeah it's, it's it is entertaining as well if they go to your website parentpreviews.com, you have the trailers you have all of the write-up on this but even in the trailers there's just some hilarious differences between men and women uh, the father's response to certain things the mother is saying, yeah. and you can actually see the buttons being pushed. It's it's a fascinating, um, just as a counselor that kind of does this and sees it every day with people, I love it because, wow, okay, yeah, this is how we manage our emotions. It's powerful. And and I was thinking about you in that regard, Matt. I thought this is a movie that you're probably going yeah. to want to get out Soon. This so, is what I'm going to have yeah, to. Th- I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what you think about this. Yeah. Next week we In fact, next week we'll talk about it because uh, I'm going to start using it on my clients immediately. <laughs> I'll start assigning it as homework. That's right. That's well, right. I think actually for young, for children especially, it could be very effective with the discussion. We'll use it, Rod. Thanks so much, my friend. And uh, everybody, go to ParentPreviews.com. Check out uh, more of the the work they're they're doing there to help parents. This is the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two. It's in the can. We'll come back starting a whole new hour. We'll be talking about uh, body language next after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. You know, this is the show where we uh, do what we can to give you the tools to get a leg up in life. Today, we're going to be giving you a little body language lesson. Body language. Now, who knows body language better than James uh, Birdsall? Who's, we're, some of you are wondering, why haven't we heard from James forever? James is uh, on sabbatical or on the verge of sabbatical. He's here. James, are you available for us? Yes. Hello, James. Hello. Why don't you tell the good people what's happening to you? Because some are worried that you've fallen off the earth. I have not fallen off the earth. I'm taking the sabbatical, like you said. And Why? You get married and then you need a sabbatical? <laughs> what's that about? Well, you know how it is. Uh... No, explain it. Okay. Well, I'm, I have an internship that I'm going to, to yes. do graphic design. So so it's it's kind of a sabbatical from... You, Matt, actually. Hmm? Come again? That so. sounded rude. <laughs> I don't think you meant it to be rude, but it sounded horribly rude. Uh, you don't need a sabbatical from me. What? Why? Well, I, A, I got you married. I guess that's true, yeah. B, I done raised you from a pup. Yeah. C, I'm out of it. I don't have any more. But C is a reason. It's just nobody can think of it. So how, how long is the sabbatical? Uh, it's until August. That's that's in. When do you graduate? Duration. I mean, hypothetically, if you were to hypothetically, graduate, hypothetically, yeah. If if everything goes to plan until next April, next April two thousand sixteen yeah. is when I graduate. So we'll probably get you back. I mean, unless you get a better offer, but I find that highly unlikely. Do you have an offer that I maybe can't refuse? Yeah, I've got some milk chocolate almonds in here. If you want, I'll give you a handful. Oh. <laughs> Wow, I can't if you'll give up your done. internship, I'll give you a handful of milk chocolate almonds. Done. Well, we're going to miss you, except Ben's taken over. And Ben's, you know, he's got some seriously strong hands to run this board. What does that mean? I don't know. It sounded creepy, but we're proud of them, whatever they are. Hey, um, we're going to miss you. And Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you. We hope to get you married as well. Going to be a challenge. Your father and mother called, and they uh, are very excited for this opportunity. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure if my dad would call. Maybe my mom. No, your dad came in actually, dropped that's, off a check. That's the point. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, we got a great. Uh, we got a great team, and to you know, added to the team is the latest and the greatest, Kathy Aiken, who handles our headlines. Kathy, thanks for joining the show. Thank now, you, Matt. Now do your job. I will. Here we go. Police say the suspect accused of fatally shooting nine people during Bible study in a South Carolina church has confessed to the crime. 21-year-old Dylan Roof was arrested yesterday in Shelby, North Carolina, nearly 250 miles from the crime scene. According to a friend, Roof said he wanted to start a race war. Yesterday, President Obama called the shooting senseless murders and suggested more gun control is needed. Now is the time for mourning and for healing. But let's be clear. At some point, we as a country will have to reckon with the fact that this type of mass violence does not happen in other advanced countries. 
NBC News is reporting Roof told police he almost didn't go through with it because everyone was so nice to him. Roof is expected to appear in court this afternoon after being charged with nine counts of murders and a weapons possession charge. Yesterday, South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley called for the death penalty. The two prisoners who escaped from an upstate New York facility have been added to the 15 most wanted list. Still no confirmed sightings of the two men as the search has been going on now for two weeks. Republicans in the House voted in favor of giving President Obama fast-track authority to negotiate a Pacific trade deal. The bill, which passed by a 10-vote margin and is unpopular among most Democrats, now heads to the Senate. The body of a missing two-year-old boy was found yesterday in Oklahoma. The boy had been swept out of his father's arms when the father attempted to cross rising flood water due to this week's tropical storm. One police official said the water reached as high as 15 feet when the child was swept away. And a Chicago Blackhawks fan celebrating the team's recent Stanley Cup victory lost his Blackhawks cap yesterday in the Chicago River. So what does he do, Matt? He jumps in to save it, obviously. Oh, boy. The only problem is he had to be saved himself <laughs> by emergency crews. Can you imagine how embarrassing that is? In the, this is the Chicago River that runs right through the middle of Chicago. That river? That river. As he jumped in there. Nearly two million people were out along the parade route celebrating the team's recent NHL Stanley Cup victory. Was he inebriated? Doesn't say. I'm going to put my money on that. Bit, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking if I, I think my Green Bay Packers cap. Mm. I made Would you jump in for, for that? I think, yeah. Well, you know, you can buy a new one. I know, but this one's special. I've had it for a long time. I've been a Green Bay Packers fan since I was about five. But see, there's this weird thing called life. And it's sometimes not worth giving up <laughs> for a cap. For a cap. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, but when you're the, a fan, you're a fan. That's right. And when you have these old caps that kind of formed your head, you know, it takes a while to to really get it to fit well, and this one fits so well. Yeah, but if you've spent some time in a cold uh, Chicago River, yeah. you know, it's probably not going to fit as well anyway. Well, he was taken to the hospital. Yeah. Reportedly, he's in good condition. Is he okay? Yeah. They wrapped him in a blanket and a life vest and then, of course, topped it off with a cap. With his wet, drippy with cap. With his wet, drippy cap. <laughs> oh, the fans. That's, his we, wife was probably so proud if I he's bet, married. I bet. Well, or not married anymore. <laughs> Like, it could have been the end. He's like, well, he's yeah. He's going to be calling you for advice. I dropped my hat, so I thought, should I stay and take care of my family and my kids or get that cap? He's like, I just went for the cap. <laughs> oh, that's crazy town. Good job, Kathy. And uh, I didn't know I didn't know you were a Green Bay Packers fan. I go way back, way back to the Bart Starr days. So, Those are cool. You know, my dad was a fan, so I thought, you know, I need to be a fan. I watched the games with him and thought, I'll be a fan too. You're a cheesehead. So much. Now, what's funny is if a Packers fan was floating down the Chicago River, mm-hmm. no one would jump in. No one. They'd say, see ya. Bye. Yeah. Float They'd away. Start throwing things <laughs> on top so of them, throwing flowers or something. That's cool, though. That's, you could, that's a great team. I mean, owned by an entire community. Yeah. That's a I cool model. I bought a little piece of that. You know, just you a should little have. piece. I, in, on my bucket list is to go see one game oh, that'd before be great. I die. Yeah. yeah. Not, not hopefully in the winter. Well, while you're there, get a new hat. I will. Just in case. I'm going to try. Just Thank you, case. Matt. Just give me 20 bucks and I'll do it. It's <laughs> probably like Maybe, 70 yeah, now, probably huh? Maybe more, yeah. The way these things work. Well, good stuff. We, uh, we're we going to now move to a different subject. How about body language to influence your success? Do you think the way you sit, the way you stand, how your face looks, if you always look angry, Terry, are you listening? If you always look angry, it might impact your career. It might. I'm just saying. Or 
will it? We'll be talking with uh, Christian Jarrett, who's going to give us some insight on this. Dr. Jarrett is going to be talking about uh, the four ways you can use body language to influence success. That's up next after this break on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if you see someone frowning with their shoulders slumped, you know, it's a fair bet that they're feeling pretty upset, right? Would you buy that? But which came first, the slumped shoulders or the bad mood and feelings? Your body language doesn't merely reflect your emotion. It's often the cause of those emotions. And by learning more about how to influence your body language, and you may have a little bit more control over your feelings and your mind. Joining us today is Dr. Christian Jarrett, a British psychologist. He's uh, on the line with us to talk to us about uh, understanding this concept of how your body language impacts your emotions. Dr. Jarrett, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Excellent. Doing well. Uh, talk to us about this because, you know, we, we kind of, we know that our body language is communicating our moods and our feelings. Most of us don't get maybe the idea that our body language may be actually causing some of our moods and feelings. What, what, what have you found out about that? It's an idea that really goes all the way back to the great American psychologist, William James. So he, he pointed out that when we experience an emotion it's not just the emotion that drives uh, bodily changes it's actually some of the physical physiological bodily changes that actually lead us to feel the emotion hmm. I mean, that's true uh, so, when, you, when you sit up straight yeah. you feel something different right you feel yeah. some confidence or and, some uh, yes yeah, psychologists they, they're particularly interested in uh, something they call power posing I don't know if you've heard of this Mm-mm. expression I mean, power posing is usually when I used to lift weights, I do some power poses. But anyway, they didn't see, they didn't make me feel very powerful. So the the kind of the standard one is to is to stand like with your uh, feet shoulder width apart and your hands on your hips. Um, the the most extreme example is to kind of do a star shape with your arms and legs splayed wide. The idea is the more physical space you can take up the more powerful a pose it is and uh yeah and there's this research that suggests um holding these power poses for lengths of time gives you a real confidence boost um but you know what i'm doing it right now dr jarrett and i feel like a goofball which one one? i'm doing the power pose in the star formation with my arms (laughs) spread apart my legs spread apart and everyone in my studio is looking at me like i'm crazy but you know what's interesting? Expect- it did get oxygen flowing because I've been yeah, sitting in my chair. Private, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but I mean, it's true that I mean it does because it did all of a sudden get me out of my little shell where I normally sit and just interact. That's right, and it, uh, uh, there's evidence it changes our uh, bodily chemistry, like increasing testosterone levels. It makes people more willing to take risks um, and. Uh, if people, they, they've done studies where people hold these poses for like five minutes before they give a public presentation. Hmm. And people who, who do the power posing beforehand give more impressive talks and speeches. Oh, I believe that. And th- wasn't another pose a sitting pose? What was the sitting pose yeah, so like? I think this one would be better for the office. This is one where, yeah, uh, you, you put your feet up on the desk and your arms 
clenched your hands behind your head. Yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of the chilling out kind of pose. Right. Again, it's filling up more space. You know, you're taking up more physical space. That usually when I do that, I fall right asleep. But, <laughs> but I, I could actually see, like, if you're about to present and you're leaning back, um, kind of relaxed, and yet, you know, you're being introduced for a speech or whatever, you, I could see how that would actually start to make you feel more confident. Some of it maybe just seems like it's breathing. It just almost seems to yeah. open up your chest a little more. Well, the other thing is it, it breaks the negative cycle of sometimes, you know, if you're feeling anxious and nervous, we tend to make ourselves small. You know, we hunch over, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. And that, that sets up a feedback loop and we start to feel uh, not very confident and so on. So the thing is by deliberately putting yourself in the power pose, you're, you're breaking that cycle. You're stopping yourself adopting those helpless, that sort of helpless body language. You um, you also mentioned in uh, your article that we're looking at about handheld devices that we should probably try to avoid those in some of our business settings for for a reason. What what does the handheld device do to us? Well, because the other thing that's been found is that so like some of this is about deliberately adopting certain positions to try and influence your emotions, but of course, different activities we perform put ourselves in certain positions. So if you're cramped over a, a small iPhone uh, trying to look at it in the sunlight or something just before you give a talk, that's that's putting you into a submissive pose. Hmm. Um, yeah. So the idea is to just be aware and mindful of, of how you're holding your body, the kind of activities you're doing before, uh, let's say, a speech or something, because you might, without realizing it, be putting yourself in these kind of submissive uh, postures that aren't going to help you very much. Yeah, it's almost um, you're kind of going more inward with a phone. You're you're directing your attention more inward. It seems like, and it, and if yeah. you're about to deliver a speech or if you want to impress your boss, inward may not be the direction you want to go. Right? You want to be more outwardly yeah. directed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you want use a tablet instead of <laughs> yeah yeah use a tablet a phone or yeah. Or just or, or put you know best off put the devices away for uh, when you're just about to go in for an interview or just about to give a speech and uh, stand up and yeah don't 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 make yourself small cramped over a, a digital device or, or whatever. I mean this seems to be so natural. Like the animal kingdom, if they feel threatened or if they're in a moment where they want to impress, they don't they don't seem to get smaller. They seem to almost puff up. You know, yeah, get that chest out there and look big. That's where, yeah, I think that's the evolutionary origins of this kind of thing. That's what one of the uh, main researchers in this area, Amy Cuddy at Harvard, yeah, she traces it back to this kind of thing. If you, if you look at across the animal kingdom, when uh, animals want to be dominant and uh, show their confidence to other animals, yeah, they make themselves large. And I think that sets up these feedback loops. Um, it's the same, by the way, with our facial expressions and and tone of voice as well. There's, there's even research, if you speak, try speaking in a deeper voice, you know, it feeds back. You hear your own voice and you sound more powerful, makes you feel more dominant. Yeah. Um, so you, you could practice the Barry White impressions. <laughs> hey, baby. <you> know? <laughs> yeah. But don't use that phrase with your boss or you're going to surely lose the job. It's but it's interesting uh, how psychologically th this is so subtle. All of these ideas are subtle. 
But um, psychologically, they give you an advantage. And sometimes you only need a tiny advantage to make a big difference, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I should point out there is, in academic psychology, there is a debate going on at the moment about the significance of these effects. So there are skeptics wondering, you know, just how, uh, in real life, you know, just how big are these effects? Is, is it really worth is it really worth doing? And there was an attempt this year to replicate the finding to do with the power posing and uh, testosterone levels, and, mm-hmm. and they couldn't they couldn't replicate this finding. So some skeptics are kind of wondering about this area. But Amy Cuddy, who I mentioned before at Harvard, she's you know she's the main person here, and she she brought out a review this year. She looked at all the results from 33 studies involving over two and a half thousand subjects and uh you know her conclusion confidently she said you know there's, there's definitely something to it so, yeah i mean I, I wouldn't want to overstate it i would see it as just another a tool you know another weapon in your armory when you're trying to prepare you know it's not it's not going to be the be all and end all but it might just give you that edge well, i mean I that's a good yeah way to look at it you can also go read an article on dressing for success right and you can yeah. read an article on being fit and healthy and, you know, do 12 of those articles and you'll have a pretty good opportunity. Some of this seems like, too, I just need to understand me. And if I know standing up, stretching a little bit, whether we call it the power posture or just me getting big in the space, um, it, it does change your mindset. The minute you put yourself out there where you're standing with your hands in the star position kind of thing um, – it's all of a sudden it, it it moved me from being kind of behind the scenes to in front of the scene, which would probably be a really good thing if you're I mean, if you're going to go out and be on stage. The sooner yeah, you get and, out and there, you get you get out there. Yeah. And, you, and you're taking active steps to help yourself. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it's one of several things uh, you can try. And uh, I mean, it's never going to be a substitute for preparation. Yeah. You know, if you're giving a speech or an interview, you've got to do your homework, haven't you? And uh, you, you've got to do the hard work. It's not going to be a substitute for that. But I think there there are lots of these little psychological tricks that put them together, and they're, they're going to give you an edge over your competition, and they're going to make you feel more confident about your preparation as well, I think. Yeah. Have you seen that? I mean, I know there's a lot of research on flow and uh, optimal psychology about simply having something that you know you can do and then doing it, um, that inherently just kind of gives you, you know, a, a, a shot at feeling better versus sitting there being nervously awaiting your interview or your speech without knowing 10 things you could do to feel better might just kind of collapse the world on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you can reach a, a flow state, that, that's, a sweet, that's a sweet spot to be in. If, if you can uh, take part in activities that push, you know, push you, challenge you, but not too, not too much. Yeah. Uh, I, d- I don't know if that's what you're referring yeah. to. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's that kind of uh, when you're practicing, you, you don't want it to be so impossible uh, that you get downheartened when you're when you're tra- when you're training and practicing for yeah. something. You want to try and uh, be at that level where, yeah, you you really feel like you're being pushed, but it, it is within your capabilities. And uh, and when you're in that state and you're finding it challenging but rewarding, you know everything else slips away and time 
time flies by and uh, before you know it, you know, you've, you've been working and training hard for a long time and you hadn't realized because you, you were just in that great sweet spot or flow as some yeah. people call it. Um, let's let's take a break. We're talking with Dr. Christian Jarrett. He's a British psychologist, and he's he's teaching us that uh, just some of the latest research about how your body language may actually be driving some of your emotions and feelings. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion, uh, get a little more into our facial expressions and how that may be actually setting the tone or the mood for uh, what's going on in our head as we're trying to just interact with the people we're with here at our offices. We'll take a break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. More on body image right here on The Matt Townsend Show in just a few minutes. To the Matt Townsend Show, do you believe your body language influences your mood, your situation? Does your stature, does uh, your posture, does your tone, facial expressions? We're speaking with Dr. Christian Jarrett, who uh, wrote an article, The Four Ways You Can Use Body Language to Influence Success. Uh, Christian Jarrett is a British psychologist. So far, he's taught us we got to make sure we have kind of a power posture uh, where we're we're kind of standing more upright, and I mean, it just we don't have to do this with people. But if you're about to go into a situation, a speech where you have to deliver a presentation, you might want to, you know, strike a pose and and stretch out. Try to try to stand up straight. See if you can't get your lungs working for you again. Also, don't uh, don't get so involved in what you're reading or doing that you kind of shrink. Uh, he also was just teaching us about be mindful of our facial expressions. Um, Christian, welcome back to the show. Hi. How are you? Um, ta- ta- talk about the facial expression thing, because I've heard and I've found it, it is for me, that just smiling changes me. It makes me different just to be able to smile with somebody. Yeah, so it's a similar principle as with the body language. So typically we think, usually we think, uh, we're happy, and that leads us to smile. But psychologists have shown that it works backwards. So if you ask people to, you know, to pull a smiley facial expression, yeah, uh, their mood lifts, and it, they find it easier to, for example, to recall happy memories from the past, that kind of thing. So it shift, shifts your mindset. Um, and actually, I covered recently for New York Magazine an interesting study that actually showed smiling deliberately in this way. Uh, changes the way our brains process uh, the sight of other people's faces. Huh. So smiling isn't just changing how you're feeling; it's changing how you perceive other people. So when so when the participants were asked to smile deliberately and they looked at uh, neutral faces, uh, faces that were not showing any expression, their brains were activated. They lit up in the in the same way that they usually do when we look at someone else who is smiling. Hmm. So. Uh, you know, it seemed to support that old expression about uh, if you smile, the whole world smiles with you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's actually, that's just kind of cool psychology because even just if you're nervous about something, you're about to go into an interview, you you could do a lot just on your own, right, to, to change your mood, your situation so you can at least feel better. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's tapping into this idea of feedback that, that our, our, our bodies and our faces and the, the expressions we're pulling is not just a reflection of our moods and emotions. It, it's actually feeding back and influencing how we feel. And, it, and if we, tap, we can tap into that and deliberately uh, stand in a particular way or, or pull a particular uh, facial expression, again, you might want to do it more in private. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, start grinning, grinning in a strange way uh, in the office. But, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely something uh, to this and, and that, you, yeah, it can give you just a, a little bit of a boost. And, and uh, like I say, with that recent brain imaging study, it seems like it's actually, you know, you can actually change how you perceive the world as well. So you're, you're setting up another snowball effect there because if when you're smiling, you're seeing other people's faces as more smiley, yeah. that's going to have a knock-on effect too, I would imagine. Well, plus everybody's going to wonder what you're up to. So all of a sudden you're more <laughs> intriguing to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is that guy doing? Um, th- I guess, too, what I like about it is instead of just assuming you have to kind of go with your mood and your fear and whatever you're feeling and whatever feels most natural in the moment, just to know that you have an active opportunity to to change your life I mean, I think that's empowering to just know, do something, do something different, whether it's stretching or breathing differently or standing up, doing bigger gestures, whatever you do, you've got, an, you've got a choice. Yeah, that's right. And if you, it shows as well, like the, the power of a positive interaction that you might have with someone, someone makes you laugh or makes you smile, you know, they're really going to be, they're, they're really going to be helping uh, trigger those feedback processes as well. And um, it, it's also worth bearing in mind, as with the body language effects, yeah. the, uh, the way that we can incidentally adopt a certain posture because we're huddled over a, a cell phone or something. It's a similar story with the facial expressions because uh, there's research showing people who are frowning because they're glaring, that uh, they're staring into a, the glare of a computer screen, or they have the sun in their eyes for too long, so they're their faces are all screwed up, they're frowning. Mm. Uh, the opposite to smiling, you know, putting these frowning facial expressions makes people feel uh, grumpier afterwards and they're, they're more prone to aggression. So again, it's, it's worth mm. just taking a moment to think uh, about uh, your current situation, you know, again, before you're going to go into a party or before you're going to give a speech. You know, probably not a good idea to sit there squinting at your TV screen <laughs> huddled at your desk. Uh, yeah. It's going to set up all the wrong process, psychological processes. There's a great quote by Paul Watzlewick that says, one cannot not communicate, right? I mean, our faces are yeah. wired and humans are wired to recognize what others are feeling. Just, I mean, evolutionarily, that was a safe bet to know what others were feeling. So, Mm-hmm. So this is a you, you this is the, all you're basically saying is be intentional, right? Kind of start don't just go in with blindly. If you want to change your feeling or mood or if you want to influence somebody, there's just a few basic tricks. Just work on your thinking. Yeah, yeah, there are. You, you think about your body, you know, we are we tend maybe to forget, you know, we are we're not just our brains. Yeah. <laughs> we're in in psychology, they call it they call it embodied cognition. Mm. You know, it's not just our brains affecting our bodies. Our bodies uh, affect our, our brains, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think you know uh, yoga can be so beneficial as well. Yeah. But you don't have to do something so uh, 
prescriptive as as yoga. You, you just uh, some common sense, some of the common sense things we've been talking about is, is going to make a difference. You know, your body and your your facial expression is going to change. You affect your mood. And, and you, you you people are already going to spend enough time. If they have a presentation coming up, they're going to work on the presentation. They're going to think of the clothes they're going to wear. That They kind of go through the litany of external things they need to work on. You may as well just throw in a few more things about how do you want to, well, how do you want your face to look as far as your facial expressions? What gestures do you want to do? You know, I mean, gestures help too, right? Because it, it helps us seem normal. Humans gesture, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah there, there, is, there is research on this too. Yeah, so... Uh, people giving a public speech, um, when they gesticulate, people who gesticulate are actually perceived as, as more impressive public speakers. Um, and actually, uh, there's research that says our, our, our hand gestures can actually help with our own thoughts. They can help us organize our own thoughts. Oh, yeah. But don't just flap your hands around uh, <laughs> randomly. Yeah. Uh, but if you, if you gesture, gesture in a way that's complementing what you're saying and what you're thinking, it can actually aid your own thought processes as well. Yeah. And it, yeah, yeah, it kind of keeps you moving. Some, some people need to be moving in order to keep the brain working, you know, and it, it just seems like I, I do a ton of speaking and I just, I, I try not to think about it, but I know I just, cause I naturally just gest, gesticulate, but I guess in the end, uh, I, it's it's more natural. You kind of just need to do naturally what you do, and not let the moment take you over. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think it, it it ties in as well with that. There's one theory. I don't know if you've heard of this one that language began, uh, human language began with gestures, with hand gestures. Uh huh. Yeah. It became, so it, it ties in with that as well because uh, you know some people think there are shared brain mechanisms behind uh, hand gesturing and verbal speech. So. When, when you support your speech with hand gestures, um, you know you're, you're you're giving yourself you're helping your brain think these things through and right. communicate naturally. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, really, it's it's very very basic stuff. But uh, I think I think you've helped a ton. In the end, um, we just suggest everybody go uh, go look up Christian Jarrett, um, and your website Christian is what uh, it is. Psychologywriter.org.uk. Psychologywriter.org.uk. And uh, Christian, we appreciate your insight and, and just, just the, kind of the fun take on all of this. Thanks, Matt. It's, it's been a lot of fun joining you. Thank you. And again, folks, it's, it's just another tool, body language. But it does impact your feelings as well. Don't ever think it can't go both ways. It's not just the brain running the body. Sometimes it's the body running the brain. It can go both ways, right? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back, talk to the guys from BYU Sports Nation, check in with them, see what's coming up on their show. Stick with us, folks. Trying to give you the, uh, a good view of the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to head down to uh, Studio B where our great uh, friends from BYU Sports Nation, two children of mine, Jerem Jordan, Brian Logan. How are you, gentlemen? (laughs) (laughs) You nailed it, dude. 
You thank you. That was like that was pretty impressive. Huh? If we could have kept going, you would have that you could have carried the screaming moment of Guns N' Roses song "Sweet Child of Mine." I mm. taught Jerem. I taught Jerem that how to do that. He did. It sounded Defensive like training. It sounded like Jerem just like broke his ankle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right, Jeremy. I, I break other people's ankles. That's what happens. Is that what you do? On the court. Your yeah. crossover is so yeah. incredible. Ankles are cracking left and right. And during, <laughs> and during flag football, too. We sprain news here as well. Do you? We don't break it. We just sprain it. We just sprain it. We almost <laughs> broke it. We, uh, yeah, we actually strained Close it. Close breaking, but we sprained it. <laughs> Dislocated it. Hey, I've got, uh, if we're speaking about sprains and strains, have you guys ever heard of Alan Nasty Nash? No. Is that a wrestler? Kind of. Yeah. Gosh, Brian, you know everything. Noise. I'm Noise. Like, I'm like Google, man. Alan Nasty Nash. Like maybe Bing. Maybe Bing. <laughs> he's, he's a toe wrestler. A toe wrestler? Mm-hmm. Really? And uh, what he does, uh, he's a competitor. He's a world champion. He was going for his 12th world title, mm. <laughs> and he beat Michael Grimbo Grimmett to oh, claim his yeah, 12th world title. that was a big matchup. You remember that? Mm-hmm. It was a toe jammer. <laughs> and he this right now. no it's totally real and you know a lot of people don't know about this but i, I wanted to educate you guys because i want i think it could be a really big part of byu sports nation we're big on education education we're gonna done educate you um but toe wrestling has been uh it's existed since 1976 i mean come on clearly it was at a pub the staffordshire pub in uh england i guess what does this trophy look like um it's a big toe it's the big toe. It's bro. it's it's a it's a it's the big toe. Yeah, they yeah, call yeah. it the big toe. TBT. And um, w- but you what you do is you l- you lock big toes, and then there's two like uh, wood boards that are on both sides of your, the feet, and whoever can pull or push, I mean, the other foot against the board wins. And okay. the neat thing is. Alan Nasty Nash is won his 12th world title. On the women's side, a competitor known, I'm sure you've talked about her, Tracy Tippy-Toe. Mm, she, that's she not took, real. That's real. Tracy Tippy-Toe. You go look up Tracy Tippy-Toe. It's not I, a real last name. Dude, I, I could oh not. No, it's not her last name. It's her title. It's her, it's her name, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's her like resume. Thunder from Down Under. That's not a name. That's a, that's a title. It's that's like, like a. Th- Thunder Dan Marley. Yeah. Thunder Dan Majerly. Majerly. <laughs> so anyway, I'm just thinking, you know, when you guys have a lull in the show, flip the shoes off, rip those socks off, lock toes. I don't even have a toe. Oh, boy. Wow. Kind of Brian, are you okay? What? It's kind of bad. He lost a toe. I mean, it's there, but it it's, hurts. Does it not look like a toe? No, nope, it looks kind of weird. <laughs> Me and my buddy Andrew Rich kind of had the same problem a little did you have a toe you went in on having just, a weird toe together it was just you know when you, <laughs> if you really are my friend you dude, know, cut off your toe if you uh <laughs> if you play under a coach mental defense you know you tend to get messed up in certain areas in, of your body in the toe area yep what, what what's toe with the one. toes really is it like a toe stinger it's just like it's just constant planning on it uh yeah. you lose your toenail sometimes you get it ripped off and Ugh. your toe is it's jammed and you get cramps and yeah. Ugh. Nick Emery, incoming BYU freshman, does not have big toenails. Where did they go? They're gone. They're just gone. Somebody just took his toenails. The he he had he, like he, he minor re- surgery on them and oh. the nerves. Um, they they killed the nerves there. 
That seems like so that. He w- has no toenail for the rest of his life on his big toes. Hmm. I think it's maybe just one. I think it's just maybe he one foot. Fake, I can't he has re- a fake one though, right? They put fake ones on there. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Well, you yeah. can just paint them on. Just so, so when you go swimming, it's not like <laughs> what I would yeah. say more for like your protection. Did you guys see Nick Emery's toes? Oh my word! Oh my goodness! Club <laughs> toe play basketball. <laughs> Club, yeah, it's like peg leg, but for toes. That is, you you know what is so funny about that? Because I was kind of just joking about the toe thing, but Jerem out of nowhere. Well, first of all, Brian out of nowhere starts talking about well, his toes. Yeah, Brian is. But Yo, then I mean, you just said that we should have the match, and I was telling you that I was a yeah. You can't compete that way. <laughs> we understand, but uh, but then Jerem out of nowhere pulls Emery's toes out of the. See, blue. they got really like real right there with Jerem. Yeah, I was like medium. Yeah, you, know? you were medium. medium. I was medium. How, real. how would you like your facts? Medium real. <laughs> I was or medium real. real. He, he it's was. just fascinating that you guys know that much. That's uh, that just shows you the level, the caliber of professionalism that you can find on BYU Sports Nation. That's what we're going for. Yeah. You you want inside info? You want info on people's toes? We got it. You got it. Among other things. Uh, what are you guys still Everyone can break down the games, Matt. I know. I know. You want to know who has a toenail or not? Yeah. This is the show. Hygiene? Right. You we, you guys do hygiene? You do um BYU TMZ? Minor surgeries? BYU TMZ. Yeah, BYU TMZ. We, Dating we breakups? The number yeah, the, <laughs> we actually know too much on that stuff. I bet you but, do. The number one power couple got uh, married at BYU yesterday. Who's the power couple? Kyle Collinsworth in the men's basketball team. Yeah. Triple-double king. His now wife of one day is Shea Martinez, an All-American in the 800 meters on the track. Holy cow. You know, that doesn't seem fair. It's not. That's how you you make super babies. You're breeding super, super athletes. That's right. Yeah. Wow, and they're both current. They're both current athletes. So it would surprise me if that baby, like if their baby walks at like five months. No, the baby's gonna run. The <laughs> like baby's gonna be born sprints. running. It's gonna be grabbing Don't rebounds, flips. handing out assists. Yeah. Uh, you know what I would do? Just I, I'm just gonna throw a curve at you. I'd go find out if they have toenails. You never know. Mm. I mean, they might be the fastest, best right athletes there. ever, but if they got bad toenails, yeah. gone. Yeah. Sources close to the situation have not, um, you know, told me about uh, Kyle's toenails quite yet. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, you got time. I believe they tell me if there was an issue. In fact, I'll text someone <laughs> That's right now. That's what it is, yeah. I'll, text, have, my, I'll text my source right now. If you have good toenails, you don't... You, you get triple it's, doubles it's, with good toenails. Yeah, it, nobody you, talks about it because it's good. If you, you, it's only the bad toenail yeah. people that... Nick Emery's not getting a triple double this year because he doesn't have a toenail yeah. on one don't. foot. To, Toeless Joe. Wasn't that somebody? Shoeless Joe Jackson. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not Toeless. He had... Mm-hmm. Field, field of Dreams fam. Hey, um, you guys still doing your show though, right? Anything, any topics uh, you're going to cover? Nah. You, just, I mean, we, we may have just covered them all. About, about that. Uh, no, huge show. We're going to have Jimmer Fredette mm. on today, the 2011 National Player of the Year from uh, Brigham Young University. Cool. Four-time NBA vet. What's in store for him next season? Ooh. Um, we'll ask him. Plus, Brian Keel. It's a Fast Friday with Brian Keel. He always comes in on Friday, former BYU linebacker, NFL linebacker. He'll tell us uh, what he thinks of a myriad of BYU football topics, namely what we're going to discuss today, which is this growing trend in college football where some teams are playing games overseas. Yeah. So this fits into BYU's Perfectly. quote manifest destiny uh, type of independent scheduling, right? They'll go anywhere to kind of spread BYU. Yeah. Right? How do you get another team to go? That's interesting. The, 
some teams ESPN can help work this out for BYU. This is opinion. cool. Some teams want to go already. I it's bet like a do. bowl game in the regular season. Last year, UCF, Central Florida, played Penn State in Ireland. It was a great game. That would be so it cool. So I, I'm thinking BYU. I think that BYU will play a game overseas in the next 10 seasons. Okay, that's cool. BYU's done it twice. Yeah. Matt. They played in Japan in 78 and Australia in 87. How you say fun. five years? I would say five years. You that's think five? Too soon? Okay. I, I think, think five's pretty soon. I think five. I think it five. could happen. Okay. Yeah, well, let's, world, it could happen. Let's make it happen. Can you guys swing that? Go, just go. go I'm on it. I'll just, talk to my sources. Just say we voted on it. Let's do it. We're doing it. <laughs> BYU Sports Nation has <laughs> decided. We've decided, and we just think it's a good opportunity for BYU. So let's just make it happen. Go oh, tell. That'd be great. Go Mexico, tell, against Texas and Mexico City. That's what I want. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, you go south. That would be great. Yeah, tons of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'd go Mexico somewhere City. really like a nice holiday. I'd go to Fiji. I mean, it's not a great media right. market, the, but okay. Honestly, and I'll I'll explain this more in a minute. Uh, New Zealand oh. to me would be oh. great because that's where BYU is actually recruiting yeah. overseas. Totally, you can go to Australia, New Zealand, do a little Even, twofer. Why not Vancouver, British Columbia? I know that's technically overseas, not overseas, but mm-hmm. you know, out of the country. I think we ought to do one a year. Throw that it's out easy. there too. One a year it's is a lot. Probably right. <laughs> well, one every other year. Yeah. BC Lions have uh, two BYU players we could play in their stadium. Oh, man. See? Basically, it's happening. Yeah, there's destiny, eight, dude. Eight, it's eight, destiny. Manifest destiny, baby. I can feel it. I can feel it. Okay, guys, have a great show. Thanks, man. And watch your toes. I can't. <laughs> sorry, Brian. <laughs> I'm so sorry for your it's toes. Right. It's all right. Hey, I'm... bringing it up. Okay, that was sad. Good luck, gentlemen. Uh, that's interesting. Man, uh, who would think all these DBs would be breaking their toes left and right? Not breaking them, but just losing the nails. All the cutting. That's why I personally choose not to cut. Uh, I, I just try to walk straight. No quick cuts. I don't want to break ankles or toes. Hey, as you know, on the show, we like to wrap it up with a really good uh, hero story. And our story today is about a service dog that saves the life of its blind owner. When a bus doesn't slow down and comes near a blind woman crossing the road, her service dog throws himself in front of the bus to take the blow. On Monday, June 9th, Audrey Stoner, a blind woman, and her service dog, Figo, were hit by a minibus as they were crossing the road in Brewster, New York. Police photos of the crash found fur stuck to the front of the bus wheel, indicating that the dog threw himself in front of the bus to protect his owner. The dog took a lot of the blow, but police chief uh, John Delgado said he did not want to leave her side He stood right with her, and he was there to save her. Even after the initial impact, witnesses said that the dog would not uh, leave the side of the owner. The dog limped over to her, sat with her until the paramedics arrived. Stone suffered a broken ankle, elbow, and ribs, a head injury. Figo the dog underwent surgery and now has a leg splint. Figo's leg was cut all the way down to the bone. The driver has been taken off duty, and the situation is now under investigation. Isn't that amazing? A dog, for heaven's sakes. How cool is that? So, Figo, you're the hero of the day, and, Aud- and uh, Audrey, you are too for, uh, for taking care of a dog like that. Uh, powerful stuff, folks. We hope you see the good in the world. This is it, Friday. Go have a great weekend. Make it a good one. Love the people that are close to you, and uh, make a difference. Remember, we're, we're, we're only here for so much time, and if we can make it better for others or at least just you know try to figure out a way to see the good in the world— It's out there. Again, our prayers go out to the people in South uh, Carolina and uh, 
Let's go start serving each other. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until Monday, take care, be good, and make it a great one.